Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews, the podcast where we talk about mostly family movies from our childhood, but occasionally we step into uh, movies that very much don't fit that mould. I, I, I saw a comment on one of our videos recently that was like, Rewind Reviews, family movies, plus Robocop. And I was like, yep, that's about right. <laughs> oh, we've gotten way worse. That's not even the worst example. No, no Battle Royale was probably the worst, let's be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, Battle Royale without a doubt. <laughs> Uh, but we take a look back at movies that we enjoyed when we were younger, see if they still hold up or if they don't. Um, at some point, I'm definitely, I keep threatening this and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, at some point I will do it, pull the trigger on doing a movie that we neither of us have seen, but is like, you know, famously beloved that just for whatever reason, neither of us came across um, or never really bothered I nearly, I nearly did that because Jess suggested The Breakfast Club, but uh, which I know I haven't seen, but I didn't know if you had seen it. Yeah, I, I saw it when I was young once, uh, but I barely right. remember it. I remember the I remember the, the key plot and the ending, but I don't really remember any of the scenes. And I know that these days it's got a bit of a reputation for not actually holding up at all in terms of the... It's apparently a bit problematic, but I... Not as much, I don't think, as... Um... Fast Times? No. Uh, 16 Candles. Oh, 16, yeah, 16 Candles is another one. Yeah. So there's a few like that that I've, I, I'm aware of, but... Um... Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Um, like the Goonies, I never. I don't think I ever pro- I saw all of the Goonies. I think I saw scenes from the Goonies. I don't think I ever saw all. Of no, the I've Goonies. never seen the Goonies either. So, anyway, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense is what we're watching today, which is a movie from sort of my past. Um, I gave a, a, a too much information about this last week, but I'll very quickly recap it now for anyone who's jumping on board. The the reason this movie is meaning for me is it was we would last week we were talking about. Um, as we discussed, um, God, what film did we watch last week? That's bad. Memento. Um, Memento, that idea of going from watching uh, you sort of blockbuster, big release, family films, kids films, and occasionally, you know, uh, like a big action movie or whatever, to like shifting into like, oh, actually, films can be more impactful than that. They can have more heart or they can be cleverer than that. And like that trend into pretension that a lot of teenage film fans follow through. And teenage teenagers of chris and i's generation had a very similar pattern in terms of which films that was and i was talking about fight club being a gateway film to that um for a lot of us <laughs> um uh, and then i said but if you can actually trace it back further for me personally the minute i realized films could be a little bit more than just like frivolous entertainment when i was like actually blown away by a film i distinctly remember being you know 11 or 12 and uh getting i think initially a vhs copy um, a preview copy because my, my 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 nan worked in a video store and they'd send a preview copy shortly after it was in the cinema but you know six months ahead of its release sometimes um of an upcoming you know to try and coax them into ordering lots of copies for the video store um and she had a preview copy with a with a watermark on it of the sixth sense i remember uh, i think it was my my family were watching something my mum and her and my granddad were watching something in the living room and they had a small combi vcr tv in the kitchen but no seat to sit in front of it so i was just on my knees <laughs> in front of this tiny tv <laughs> watching the sixth sense my mum occasionally coming through to make a cup of tea during like the adverts for coronation street um but it's it's uh, that does paint quite a vivid picture doesn't it <laughs> um uh that's how i watched the movie and i just remember you know because i was only you know i would have been 11 12 i I, i've not done the exact math but in that age range um, i just remember being like blown away because you know at that point in my life you know with with a few exceptions i was mostly watching like 
either kids films or like I, I watched a lot of like I did I did sneak a lot of horror films away from my parents but even those were all big genre films you know they weren't cinematic in that sense they weren't thoughtful character anythings you know it was you know mm. uh, you know gremlins isn't exactly a strong character piece right do you know what i mean i, I was probably too yeah, young to yeah. watch gremlins when i watched gremlins but or robocop for example but they weren't exactly like they were heavy genre films with a real stylized approach and this was like the first time i was like oh you can like they can do some really clever things with this storytelling and like, like these characters are so like I didn't, I wouldn't have said these characters are so rich, but like I definitely think I connected to the emotion of this story, um, and understood that the film got me there, even if I didn't understand how. And mm, being that finding that, that, that quite profound, and then the twist, which is obviously amazing, which I'd, my my nan had casually mentioned in front of me when telling my mum what it was I was about to be watching. <laughs> and ruining it for me and then i basically forgot as i was watching it and then um you know and then later on being like blown away by an ending i already knew and then feeling stupid because i then remembered hearing it um so yeah a big part of my childhood and definitely i remember when the dvd came out seeking it out for one of the first times i remember seeking out content to learn about how the film was made and the man who made it and what that meant he was the first director i was like I would call other than like Spielberg, he's the first director I would have called myself a fan of. Um, yeah, and this film like made him a real like celebrity director, didn't it? Like, yeah. I really, I really remember everyone knowing his name, right? Like, and style and talking about him like he was going to be the next, you know, that, Tarantino or whatever, uh, which obviously didn't particularly pan out. But well, yeah. the, the Newsweek literally, you can Google it around the time of Signs release had a, an, a, a cover story, a picture of M. Night, and the headline reads, The Next Spielberg. From Sixth yeah. Sense to Signs, M. Night Shyamalan is Hollywood's hottest new storyteller. Yep. Um, <laughs> but we've, I, but we've, I, reviewed, but we've reviewed an M. Night film on it before. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I, I was very cognizant of that, that it was made by a person. And if you look at my back, my, my history getting into like film and storytelling and wanting to study writing and even this podcast you can trace a lot of it back to some of those early moments and i think the sixth sense is a really pivotal one for me um even though m night has gone on to make some much less quality films i i, I still think this one's an, an amazing film but almost a masterpiece um it, it the way it blends its genre elements with with genuine heart and character story for me is like a is a is a real lesson in how to do that, even though he seems to have forgotten how to do that in the subsequent years after Earth being one of my one of the better examples of how not to do what this movie succeeds at doing. Um, it's, it's like he's learning how to make films in reverse. Like he was right up top, he mastered it, and then he sort of somehow lot, lot forgot the lessons he'd already learned. Um, but anyway, um, that's my sort of history with it. I know that this is the first time you've seen it, so I'm very curious. Uh. What- no? Huh? It's the first time you saw it, right? Was the this viewing? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 yeah. Uh, so, which um, which I'm, makes it difficult I'm, in some regards. I'm curious what your understanding of the film was before you sat down to watch it. Um, or what relationship you had to it at all prior to that, other than presumably knowing the twist through cultural osmosis. And then, like, how what your experience of watching it was. Because I've also talked yeah, I knew, way too much at this point. <laughs> I knew the twist through Cosmo, you know, culture, cosmosis, um, or whatever the phrase you just used was. Cultural um, osmosis. So, 
cultural good, good osmosis. So I knew the twist. I knew it was very renowned. I knew it was up for loads of awards. Uh, I knew Bruce Willis cared in it. Um, and I, yeah, I knew, and you can, and I, and I, I love that that's I think, the scale. Is it one of the ones where Bruce Willis gave a shit or is it one of the ones yeah, Bruce Willis phoned basically. in? Um, and I knew, yeah, so that's kind of what I, that's kind of it. That's kind of what I knew. I knew mm. the plot. I knew the twist. Um, I knew the, you know, I see dead people line. Although I thought that was in a car and it wasn't. So I was quite like, I was like, he's going to say the line. This is not when I was expecting him to say the line. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I I recommend it because my, my thoughts are very uh, kind of immediately taking us into analyzing it. And I think it's uh, it's interesting because, yeah, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, I would absolutely recommend watching it. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film for reasons I'm about to go into, but I, if we're doing recommendations, especially, Jesus, if you if you somehow manage to not know the twist, Christ, stop this now and watch it. Um, mm-hmm. If you know the twist and haven't seen it, I'd still recommend watching it, but you're going to have a different experience to the one Dan described. Um <laughs> And yeah, I uh, so yeah, I would absolutely uh, recommend it. I think the music is beautiful. I think it's a very all-told film. I think all the performances are brilliant. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to love, which we'll talk about more. But it's hard to talk about this film without kind of spoilers. So yeah, definitely recommend it. Um, and I assume you do too, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I actually I'm amazed at how much this film still holds up. Like there's like. I'll be very interested to hear what your sort of your issues with it were because like I, I rewatching it, I was expecting to find all sorts of stuff that didn't track or didn't you know work backwards. But I I was very pleasantly surprised to discover that it still completely functions. And I was I I, I did expect a certain amount of inconsistencies or issues, but it, it all kind of worked for me. And I was um, so I'm very interested to hear what your what your issues were. But yeah, a, a definite recommend for me if you've if you've gone this long without knowing the twist. Without question, you should see this. But if you know the twist, I would still say it's worth checking out because I still think it's a really yeah, masterfully told story. And it's this the, the mother son relationship that's at the heart of this film is is absolutely uh, beautiful. And I would say as well the the way the plots intertwine is kind of genius on many ways. You know, in many ways, there's so there's a, there's a few different things all happening at once, but they're all focused around this one element and like the ability to wrap up a narrative the way this movie wraps up its narrative is so neat and it feels very very thought out and very deliberate and and yeah quite artfully done so just from a script writing perspective this film is extremely extremely tight which is again sadly no longer the norm for an m night movie um <laughs> um but um yeah big a big recommend for sure so yeah, I'm curious, Chris. Yep. What's the? <laughs> Go on. This is gonna be so weird and interesting, and like, I think like maybe I'm alone in what I'm gonna say, because um, some of that I don't agree with. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about why in a minute. Um, the so the twist of it all, mm-hmm. it's I can't judge the twist, and my opinion on the twist should not be valid um, because I'm sitting there watching it going. God, this feels really obvious. Of course it is. I fucking know the twist. So I can't I can't. You know the, t- the twist. You know the twist all. and yeah. truly they committed to it so it works when you watch it back. So Yeah, like- oh it's so from that sense it's so effective. Because right. I imagine and, and let me be you know, I I will be 
one, I've already admitted my opinion on the twist isn't really relevant because I don't think anyone that knows the twist should give an opinion on it. I will also admit I don't think I'd have realised watching it. I I don't. No. Um, but when you know, like you say, there's a lot of fun in repeat viewing mm-hmm. because I imagine you've watched it since going, how the fuck did I not see this? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, M. Night and the producers actually had a big debate about the, the editing choices in the I See yeah. Dead People scene because the camera's pushing in on Bruce as he's saying these things, they don't know they're they don't know they're dead. It's literally hanging on Bruce, and he's looking all pensive. And I'm like, "Geez, that's that's pretty yeah. telegraphed," which tells yeah, me, yeah, yeah, oh, it's really he, it's it the is. lines as well. Mm-hmm. I see people that don't know they're dead all the time. Like, I mean, it's, and obviously. We never go back to the shooting and what happened. It's And obviously, when you watch it back, we know why we never go back to the shooting. Right. Because we know what happened. He died. But um, I think the genius choice, though, from a script writing perspective, the reason they get away with it for me, I think, is the genius choice of having the, the, the making the reason they're not talking be these marital troubles. Because, yes, yeah, yeah. That's so simple, but so smart. Because it fits the character, an obsession with, the, you know, writing a wrong after being shot by the other kid. But it also fits the ghost narrative of, you know, um, a character that has, you know, unfinished business on this earth, <laughs> you know. Um, and by helping uh, Cole, he's he's that's his unfinished business, so to speak. Um, they never phrase it that way, but that is kind of essentially what they're getting at. And, um, and that allows him to sort of move on. But... Because they give it this marital issue thing, which also perfectly fits with the information the scenes were seeing. Like the scene where he goes into the restaurant and he sits down and he's talking and he's like, I'm sorry I'm late. And this kid, I think I can just help. And he's like, gets lost in his work and he has this big old speech. And then she's just like, happy anniversary and gets up and leaves. That makes perfect sense if he's not a ghost. <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so yeah, but it, it's kind of amazing. Like, I know exactly how that twist like functions, but it's it, and 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 why it should feel obvious, but also why it is exact. It's one of the exact reasons it isn't at all obvious somehow. Yeah, and and the fact that it it works on like everyone, and and like I say, that's why I'm saying because I reckon there are people that watch this knowing that would go, oh, it's really obvious, isn't it? And it's like it's only obvious because you know you. Yeah. I don't think anyone that knows can judge the effectiveness of that. Correct. Um, because that's what's so wonderful about it so i think the the, yeah the twist is executed perfectly in general my big the thing i don't agree with is i don't think the script is that tight or or at least i have problems with the script um in general like the twist this film is full of a number of incredible ideas but i think my challenges with the script are is it felt in places like we're dealing with this amazing idea. Now we're going to deal with this amazing idea. And it's it's this collection of amazing scenes. But I personally, if I'm looking at it from a critical eye, would have, want more, would have wanted more interweaving and leaking between the two. So, for example, the the scene where um, his the scene where he talks to his mum about what he sees and yes. he talks about his nan Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of says, you know, she's pr- you know, she's proud of you every day. All the answer is every day, right. and she watched you dance and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal scene, what, great idea. One of the best scenes in the movie, I think. 
Yeah, and and I genuinely a, a fantastic scene. Again, I'm I'm being a little picky here. I'm being quite critical, um, and potentially because I know his reputation, so I'm in the back of my head subconsciously looking out for script stuff. But that scene isn't embedded in the rest of the movie. We we see him see other ghosts. What if one of them was his grandma? What if one of them was an old lady and we don't know the context of it yet? Or at some point he sees an old lady? Because there's a fair chunk of the film where we know what's happening before that scene. We could have had an old lady. Maybe we have some indication that she's got unresolved business with her mum. She mentions her mum. It's a brilliant scene, but I think it's even more beautiful if it's embedded throughout the movie. And for me... Go on. Yeah, go on. No, you go. I just I disagree with that statement. I th- I'll tell you what, it's embedded into the movie because it's not about the gran. It's about the relationship between him and the mother. And the scene early in the movie where they talk about the pendant being moved, it's it's about him opening up to her. That's what's beautiful about that scene. The the nan stuff is just so she like is 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 not just an emotional impact for her, but also her relationship with her own son. So like the nan isn't actually what it's about about in that moment it's about the the the, the, you know the curtain being dropped between the two of them this veil that's been that separated them because he's not felt comfortable to tell the truth because he's been scared she won't believe him i mean the scene it's paying off the scene earlier in the movie about the pendant so there's a bumblebee pendant that used to belong to her mother already set up in the movie uh, you know in there and then it keeps being moved and she keeps finding it in his drawer and she obviously doesn't believe that it's that it's that it's not being him she's like did you move my pendant he's like no because he didn't and it's this heartbreaking scene at the dinner table where she's like all you have to do is just admit you did it no one walked into this house and moved the pendant which from her perspective is 100 percent accurate you know from her perspective obviously the child moved the pendant but here's not admitting it is is Again, it's this barrier between them. And then through Bruce Willis's character, Malcolm, his interactions with Cole, Cole finally feels comfortable enough to pull down the veil, be honest with his mother. But it's also echoing a lack of honesty between her and her mother. So it's like catharsis for her, because not only is her mother revealing a thing that she didn't... There was a secret between them. There was a thing that she never got to tell her before she passed. Cole's telling her his secret before that moment so it it, like it all culminates in this insane way where like all of these disparate plots just suddenly hit us with this like incredibly emotional thing i didn't need to see the grandmother two scenes before that wouldn't have changed any of that um at all Uh, and in fact if anything i think it would i think it would have done the opposite because i think having heard that story previously would have maybe uh, made the impact of it in the moment when he tells her and her reaction feel a little bit weaker um, because we'd already know that story. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about the story being played differently. I mean, I I wouldn't have mind seeing an old lady per- personally, or maybe she makes some um, reference. I accept the pendant argument, and actually, I think I think you raise a good point in an argument, and it's very typical of us of it works for you because at its heart is a character thing. Um, whereas right. I'm often very much about story beats, and for me, weaving it in a little bit, it's it's not just my only example of that though in terms of the script and stuff another mm-hmm. one for me is the girl um uh that basically appears and then he realizes she's been murdered mm-hmm. so one i think if that girl is embedded throughout earlier in the movie and so because that very much is he sees the girl 
they have the chat and then you know he's on the bus um in fact i don't even think they have the chat he sees the girl then they're on the bus yeah um yeah so he sees the girl then they're on the bus then they go to the funeral it all happens at once i've got more thoughts story response to that example though Mm. and again this might be an effect of knowing where it's going unfortunately because it's a mystery what's going on with that kid for the first 50 minutes of the movie. You can't show the girl prior to that scene. She's one of the first ones no. we outright see, see. Because the the whole point of the uh, the movie from the perspective of it, if you were coming into it like, a cold, which is obviously how you would have done heading into a cinema in 99, um, you know, for a lot of the movie, going, what's with this kid? Is he insane? Is it ghosts? Is it... Oh, you wouldn't even think, is it ghosts? He, like, he just knows things and doors open around him. And, like, so the first hour of the movie plays really uh, differently without that information. It's only the turning point in the in the, in the the bed when he admits the ghost thing. When you go back, oh, is that why he knew about the teacher's stutter? Is that how he knew about... He's not psychic or anything. He's he's literally talking to ghosts. So you can't embed the, the, the girl any earlier than that. Um, and the, Well, you can embed... Well, he, he says that he sees dead people at 50 minutes and the girl appears at 1 hour 17. So there is, there is half an hour... Uh, yeah, but also we've also or... got to keep in mind that we want during that time we want to establish that he's seeing tons of different ghosts all of the time. So the only other ghosts we see between that moment and the the, the sequence with the girl, um, they have to be different, surely, because it can't just be because otherwise it's just oh, I'm being haunted by one person. But we all this information he's gotten and speaking in Latin and stuttering Stanley and all the people being hanged in the school. The whole implication is that it's tons and tons of uh, tons of different ghosts. If we only ever as an audience then see one. <laughs> Where, like, where are all these Spanish conquistadors or these all these crazy like people that he's like clearly like in like you know coming across? Like, it's it's you 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 know you you have a problem with it there, I think as well. And also, yeah, the, and I uh, think again that's a that's a um, knowing where it's going thing because obviously to me I knew why he was I knew right. how he had that information about the teacher etc. Um, again, another good defense. The same, not same issue, but another issue with that. And I'd if. Uh, yeah if you've got a defense for this all power to you you love the movie but fuck me is it clunky that she happened to have been videotaping herself yeah moves the moves the thing the videotape keeps running that's already clunky enough without i'm sorry but she comes in puts the food down leaves the fucking room when she could have done it in the kitchen yeah (laughs) leaves the room to get the poison comes back administers the poison (laughs) And then walks away, and then, and I'm just like, surely he could, like, for me, that would have been so much better if he'd have found something that puts it in the guy's mind, and then, like, like how powerful was that to see this guy's love for his child is so big that he'd trust this child over his wife because he also just knows it to be true. Like, I'm like, that didn't need to be the fucking videotape was still running, no, did it? No. And the bit where she walks away, and... <laughs> mixes the poison in in front of her was just fucking i I was like okay movie i'm having a difficult time with this (laughs) no no that's that sequence definitely like it's 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 one of those things where it's like i get why it ended up clunky because it's like you want to get to the point quickly because it's not really again like with the with the with the car thing with the sequence in the car it's not really about the grandmother it's about that relationship and this is about cole finding his own his peace with his new role in life which is helping these people 
So the story of the people yes, he's helping yeah, which I get. has to be dramatic and interesting, but it also has to be like solved quickly. And he's kind of shot himself in the foot there because the quick solution to that is Cole finds a tape and on the tape is the proof. Because it, obviously, otherwise, you've got tons of questions of how quickly did he... Because you, you, if they'd done it another way, if Cole had like found an empty bottle of some sort of you know thing in the kitchen or whatever and handed it to him and said she wants you to see this then you're going how is the dad jumped to the conclusion that it's munchausen's by proxy like that makes no sense so you you you're damned if you do damned if you don't i 100 percent agree it's super clunky and i definitely chuckled when i'm i'm, I'm willing to go with the camera is set up because she's filming her puppet show but i'm not going to go with the mother shiftily looks around <laughs> And then pulls out whatever she was making and, then, and pouring it in and then in front of the camera, was, like perfectly positioned. And then presumably it was the mother that, if the girl then died right away, what, it's the mother that then takes the tape out and puts it in a fucking box under the bed? Like, yeah, I just... And oh, I, no, I, just I, see, think, I, I assumed that the girl died many years, like many moons later, but like she'd, uh, like, or many moons, or like, you know, you know, a, a period of time later and that the, the girl had seen the tape, realised what it was, but wasn't sure her dad would believe her maybe and had hidden it. That's how I kind of read that. But again, that's a bit fansplaining. I'm just sort of like making that make sense. But yeah, for me, that one, for me, that would be... If I I agree with that concern, but if that concern was in my notes, which it isn't, but if it was, it would be under nitpick corner, because it's yeah. Because, it, because but I, but this is my thing. I think it, for me, it felt like he needed a script editor. I feel like a script editor, and you know who am I to judge? I fucking know that, like obviously. But I feel like a, it's the kind of thing maybe that you know he needed. It, it felt like no one was in the room going. Maybe there's a way of making that less clunky. And even some of the dialogue, like, even at the end, when, like, we know that he's realised he needed to, he he needed to um, help Cole because he didn't help the other guy. Like, we've, we've picked that up. Like, I, it, it, so I don't have the dialogue in front of me because I can't get subtitles on this version. But, mm-hmm. like, it... It just felt like some of the dialogue as well was on the nose, and it's annoying because I don't have a specific example of that. But like, it just it yeah. felt like the script in general just needed a bit of polishing. I, um, is my big sort of nitpick with it. Yeah, I, um, I and why I don't think it's that. I think tight. it's such a tight script. I think I give you, I'll give you the the whole mother thing, but the rest of it, I the dialogue thing, I will say, I think I see where they how they got there. I think that's a that's a I think that's just a you know will the audience get this studio thing? I don't think he chose to make that dialogue obvious. I my, the, my my feeling on that, and this is just a feeling, the same way that your feeling is that it you know, is a bit clunky and need an editor, I feel that it, it, it was probably less overt and the studio went, will they get that? Make it clearer. <laughs> Mm, yeah, we're revealing yeah, yeah. he's a ghost you need to you just need to say it Re- like edit in because notice it's in a lot of it's in editing as well they put like a lot of old clips back in to really like lay it out for you like you know they have cole repeating his i see dead people they don't know they're dead they have they you know they really hammer it home in those last in that last scene and i think that smacks of studio going, will they get it? You know, that smacks of a test screening audience where one guy said, I didn't understand. And they went, okay. And I get it and a bunch of shit in to make it go. So I, I definitely, um, I don't think you're wrong to have observed that. I think we have different perspectives on why that's there and whether that's acceptable. Yeah. And, and I started again, I started this whole critique with, 
it's I have a completely different view ex- viewing experience right. of this film, knowing where it goes. And I think at the heart of a lot of my complaints and feelings, even about the script, is that it's. I think the key thing I would take away is not even that you know I'm definitely right about any of this, even though I feel it. The key thing I would take away is if you know where this film is going, it's a completely different experience watching it. Right. Um, as, it, as And not not if you know because you've watched it before. Because your rewatch is, not necessarily saying you, but I mean in that scenario, mm-hmm. the rewatch is, oh, fuck, yeah, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, man, how could I not have seen that? Oh, yeah, there's that. Whereas I'm going, oh, but, but that's that. And that's that. And not, but don't have the joy of right. how great was it that this was hidden the, from me because it's not is, hidden from me. The, or the other factor in a, re, in, a, in, a, in a sort of rewatch versus first watch when you know where it's going is it's a mystery movie to start with. Yeah. Like the yeah. whole, the, the dramatic conceit of the entire first 50 minutes of the movie is what's going on with this kid is what's going on with this kid right and it's not about ghosts at that point <laughs> and that's i think another way the twist works by the way i think is that it, it they they put such a gap between the shooting and any actual supernatural occurrences that like by the time you get to that you've well forgotten that he got shot at the opening of the movie by yeah Mark and that, that brother did still people, play for but me. that's a different issue <laughs> You were, um, sorry, say that again. Of, of, by Mark Wahlberg's brother, of all people. That's that's, that's Donnie yeah. Wahlberg having lost like fifty pounds of weight. It's, it's a great I performance. Think, I th- I think that's the thing about, and like I say, uh, I had that caveat at the beginning, and I will make the caveat again. I'm very much talking about my experience watching right. it because that's the thing. You're right. It's not a ghost movie until that point. But in my head, watching it. The whole thing's a ghost movie. Yeah, it's a ghost movie from minute one. I'm going, you know, is it not possible that Cole's going to see the dude that shot him as well? But uh, that's completely irrelevant and you wouldn't want to put that in because it gives away the mystery. So I, it's more than any other film. And I suppose we've not, you know, there's not that many films that you'd, you'd watch in this context. Um, But I think How many films could you absorb the entire premise of just through cultural osmosis? That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. This movie is a victim and- of its own success, right? Because this movie was an absolute massive runaway hit, like well outside of anyone's expectations, both in the cinema and on DVD. We'll get to the figures later. But uh, it was such a cultural phenomenon in the, in the year it came out. Um, and by the way, the year it came out was the same year as The Matrix and Toy Story 2. And the only thing that beat it at the box office was Phantom Menace. Hmm. Because this was number people two. must have been, and <laughs> no. because people were going, you got to watch this movie, and probably at that point not giving it away, because it's like even like you say, I suppose it's it's probably like the biggest mystery film in a way, because like right. obviously fucking Titanic, you know the boat sinks, but the yeah. movie's not actually about the boat sinking. No. This movie is about right. the twist and the premise and because it's, well, it's so a, it's embedded about the in the twist characters. twist and the mystery of what's going on with this kid and then the, the relationship with the mother. Yeah. I, because, again, I'm, I'm sat there going, oh, it'd be, it would have been nice to see, once Bruce realised, it would have been nice to see a scene with Cole. But Bruce, 
Sorry, but what if it was Bruce Willis's character's name? Malcolm. Malcolm. But Malcolm, Malcolm doesn't need that scene. That that scene because he's he's realised what Cole was doing, and Cole doesn't need that scene because he'll just go, oh well, maybe I helped him. Right. I think it'd be a little bit like where where the fuck's that dude gone? But like, yeah, there's all these things. It's it's just so fascinating because it's it's. I would still recommend it because, and obviously, you know, we'll get to. We've just started here, but the fucking music, the performances, uh, all of that stuff I named early on, like, is brilliant. And I I struggled to have too much to say other than it's brilliant. But it it is a completely different, it's a fascinating experience watching a film where you know the plot, where it goes, why, just because of of what that film is. And I think it doesn't... I would still recommend it because the good outweighs all of that it's just we've not talked about the good yet but it yeah i wouldn't it's you know if it's a if 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 it gets six points to recommend someone watching something you know if if someone says to me i know exactly what happens and i know the twist should i watch it i'm giving six points do you know what i mean i'm not giving 10 points um i think it's a completely different experience when you haven't seen it and you know what it's about Mm. uh which is fascinating, but of but of course it is. There's not really another film in this position, right? Yeah, and I think you've kind of accidentally hit on like something I loved about the movie that I didn't know I loved about the movie, um, because you 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 talked a lot about things that it doesn't have, like oh I might have liked a scene with the grandmother, or the, or the, I thought about the possibility of a scene where we get you know after he realizes. Uh, you know, Cole and Malcolm conversing, or something later in the movie where we bring back the first kid as a ghost. Now, like, what, what was you know, Donny Warburg is he around? Like, you've you've talked about a lot of like what's not there, and actually, that's made me realize that I think what I think I really love about this movie is how effective it is, while also being very minimalist and sparse, mm. and not feeling the need to do all of that. I actually, it's just really focused. It's just mostly. Bruce Willis and Cole, sorry, Bruce Willis and Cole, Malcolm and Cole conversing. That's like 80% of the movie is those two talking mm. to each other. And that's amazing considering how suspenseful it feels in moments, how um, how much that when it does tip into horror. I don't, a lot of people call this a horror movie. I don't, I had, I took exception to the fact that this was the highest grossing horror movie for several years until like it basically. Um, I don't think this is a horror movie. It's got some horror elements, no, I, but it's I, a, like a like a thriller, maybe. I don't even know. One one similar compliment I'd I'd pay it to what it miss it misses out is it's it's also then therefore very real to the situation because another example where from a story point of view, all the caveats of seeing it before mm-hmm. that I'd give in terms of the script is going. What about like those notes and what about um you know what what was that about? Because at first I'm like, are the notes something to do with his dad? And because his dad's not about, did he die? And he's repeating a conversation he'd had with her or something like that. And it felt unresolved, but actually Cole, Cole isn't being, Cole see ghosts, sees ghosts. He's not being haunted. And there's a big difference. And I think that's another reason why it shouldn't be considered a horror. This isn't a film about a boy being haunted by ghosts. This is a film about a boy who can see ghosts. The reason we don't get a clean cut resolution to whoever he was, you know, channeling when he wrote those notes is because whoever he was channeling might have gone off somewhere else 
or might have resolved their issues. Maybe right. it may be him writing it, channeled it out of him, and then he moved on, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But it's not it's not like a clean cut thing. I mean, uh, you know, maybe in that way it's, it's kind of ripe for TV, but not because you wouldn't hold the twist back. It's ripe for TV. If it's Cole dealing with a ghost, uh, you know, you could almost do a sequelized adult version where it's Cole as an adult going through life, you know, helping people, helping ghosts. Um, oh, man, I'd watch kind, of, it's kind of pushing. Sh- uh, daisies no, I would, way, wa- I would watch the shit out um, of that. Let me tell you. <laughs> And it'd be, and I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, but you, but yeah. So I think that's another compliment I would pay it. Some of the stuff that's not resolved is because actually, the situation, i.e., he sees ghosts, he's not necessarily haunted by them, is uh, you know it's true to that. Yeah, and 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 again, that sort of like lack of need to really go into like the. It's one of those. Again, actually, another another thing about this movie, I think I took away from it when I was younger. I wouldn't have been able to verbalize it the way I'm about to, but that idea of well of the sublime, you know, the what you, you know, the world outside the world. It feels like a big, complicated world that we're just seeing this the snippet of that's affecting these characters. So the the that presumably there's law and rules to how Cole is seeing the ghosts and how it works, but it's irrelevant. It's outside of the view we're seeing because and we're seeing the perspective of Malcolm as he enters that world literally and figuratively and like has to navigate it to the best of his understanding and then moves on. And the movie ends when he moves on. Like So our, and, our view and, of it ends there. And that comment also highlights why it's not just the twist that affects someone in my position viewing this film. It's also, as much as I hate to say it, and I feel bad for saying it, it's also M. Night's reputation. Because you say that and go, what an amazing choice. And I see it and go, is that a happy accident? Like, because right. of his reputation in later scripts. And I fully admit that is unfair. Like, but I, you know, you've got to yeah, be honest. I d- I, and I think that affected my viewing as well. I do sometimes wonder if you could just chop the opening title sequence off so it doesn't say the name of the movie or the director. So it's just a movie and it opens. It's about Bruce Willis. He's a child psychologist. And you've never seen The Sixth Sense. So you don't know what you're, you know, you don't know what that's what this is. Until you get mm-hmm. to I See Dead People, you'd probably not be sure what you're watching and you'd probably get sucked right in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, and I, I fully admit it's not fair to judge the movie in that way. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to the movie. But I think this is, you know, this isn't about critiquing what's fair. This is about if we rewind these movies and watch them. Mm-hmm. And that that element of it, that stuff comes into play. It's the same, you know, it's the same is why we always have such difficulty reviewing, you know, something like um, Short Circuit, where there's obviously the problems, but it's like, it, it, it's, we can't, the problems are a thing on this watch, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the, with the race, racial side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's not fair, but it, M. Night as well is a factor when watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you want to know an interesting little bit of a mid, mid-podcast triv, Chris, that I was just thinking about? While yeah, talking about th- M. Yeah, Night. sorry. I just I feel like such a dick for saying all of that because, you know, it's not, sometimes, sometimes shit happens and it's for a, lot of, a lot of the issues people have with a lot of his later films might not even have been down to him. And by all accounts, the Apple TV series is amazing. I'm, I'm what a... Yeah, I just hope it doesn't seem like well, you know, too it's, personal. It's, it's there. funny, isn't it? There's a rule. They say there's a rule in in, in filmmaking 
which is like when someone when a film bombs, they say you can't have too many of those. But then there's a sub bit that sometimes gets attached to that where they say, unless Hollywood likes you. Oh no, unless Hollywood dislikes you. So basically, if you're a dick, if you're an arsehole and the studios dislike you, you're difficult to work with. The minute you have a bomb, that's their excuse to stop working with you. But if you're actually a nice guy and you're just trying and you're just giving it a go, whether it works or doesn't, as long as you're not difficult and you're easy to work with and stuff, the studios will give you a lot more leeway in terms of lending you money to make movies. Because making movies is gambling. The studio is a guy stat- I... sat at a slot machine, pulling on that lever and hoping to get some money out the bottom. And you know, every time they choose a director, that's them and, and you know and, and greenlight a movie. That's them having a big old pull on that lever. And I think it's interesting that I, you know, I don't know this for sure, but like all account on all accounts, like bless him, he's <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. We did a podcast on this very show, like what a year ago, where we absolutely blasted his last airbender adaptation for all of the terrible choices but by all accounts he's supposed to be a very nice guy <laughs> and i'm sure he is and i'm sure that's true and that he's lovely and that like you know he's just given it his yeah, best and, he's made some bad he he's made bad choices on many of his movies but like yeah he he well, and he comes across well in interviews as yeah, well. He, he comes does. across like a nice guy but the i i don't think it's just the nice guy points i think you also you get a lot of points and power the bigger the... So it's not just about the flops, it's also about the success of the successes. Right. So, for example, the to bring them up again, the Wachowskis, they don't survive Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, and Jupiter Ascending without the Matrix. And similarly, he keep, you know he's got the sixth sense in his arsenal. And Signs, which was also a big and hit, Signs. and is great. Yeah. I love Signs so Same. much. I, at some point, Signs will come up on here as well, because I think Signs, genuinely, and you're going to laugh when I say this, but at one point we'll get to it, and I think hopefully you'll agree. I think Signs has one of the scariest scenes ever committed to film in it. What's the one you want me to watch without dialogue? <laughs> the Happening. Because <laughs> that's, that's him as well, isn't it? The Happening. That's the Mark Wahlberg one. Yeah, but that's M Night as well. Isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah, basically, um, there was a. I can't remember who it was. It was like Nando V Movies or someone on YouTube did it. Had a theory, and he couldn't prove it, but he reckons uh, the happening. If you just basically like turn the sound off, switch it to like black and white, and then play over. He had a specific album he recommended, like play an album over it. It plays out perfectly because M Night is such an effective visual storyteller that like the story still makes sense. It's just his dialogue and characterization is sometimes like get really clunky and it gets in the way, which is definitely true of his last Airbender adaptation. I mean, one of our biggest complaints was the how on the nose and clunky it all was. He's like, but if you take the actual dialogue and like all the over over explaining stuff, where apparently he think he's convinced it's a masterpiece if you do that, <laughs> which is a funny idea. And I would say to Chris that if we ever actually get around to it on this podcast or any of our others, just. As a th- to test the theory and actually let Chris watch the happening in that exact way. I think we'd have to we'd we'd have to do it for nothing but static because yeah, the, the that's all about the experiment, not right. not reviewing the experience of watching the movie. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's true. like that's true. Um, um, but yeah, I so I think it's that as well. But, but I would but, say, but and but this you got to remember at this stage though. For me, like M Night really was like one of my favorite directors. Like he, Unbreakable, I loved yeah. this. I loved, um, and then um, Signs comes out and it's 
I saw that in the cinema first day of release, and it was fucking astounding. And I, I we also like, had a huge resurgence with um, not the final one. What was the one? Before? Uh, so yeah, he had a bit. He had a, he had two films Glass. that kind of did it. He had the he had um, Split, but he also mm. had um, the the really low budget hit found footage one, The Visit, which was amazing genuinely brilliant like one of the best films he's had anything to do with in a long time um yeah so he had a couple in a row that were like also really good and then obviously he gave us what was that fucking what was the the the, glass was the the unbreakable sequel the unbreakable glass Glass, thank you yes exactly Glass. glass which was a fucking piece of shit um and i will say the village is like fun but deeply flawed uh the really where it goes off the rail in his his career for me it, it's Lady of the Water, which is just a mess, top to bottom. There is no, there is no getting around the problems that they, <laughs> that Lady of the Water has. It's old. So old bad. is meant to be quite good, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Actually, it, it, that's the, uh, probably the last M Night film I've not seen. It's his most recent. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Um, yeah, it, it's on my list. Um, I don't know what the reviews for old were. We can have a look if we want. Rotten Tomatoes, Travaganda. What do you want to? Do you want to have a guess? Uh, I've well, I've got I've pulled it up as well, so it would be I could try and be cocky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fifty percent of the uh, yeah fifty percent on to, on the from reviewers and fifty three percent from audiences. Right, so fairly split. That's pretty split. No pun intended. Uh, um, so yeah, so yeah, no, he's pretty brilliant. From... He had a great. I mean, he had a great run. The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, and then and then we had the Village. So yeah. yeah, which the Village is like. I I think the Village has some good stuff in it, but it's ultimately quite flawed. I feel like by the time you got to the Village, I I at the time put it down to like like trying to live up to the, the expectations of an M Night movie because he became known as the guy with the twists, mm. and even though he bucked that somewhat with Signs. It was like I feel like there was a lot of pressure on him to sort of make an M Night movie, and the Village is like it's like him rather than getting to be creatively free and just do whatever he was particularly interested. It almost felt like him trying to recreate his own style, <laughs> like a mimic himself, and that as a result, it's a fucking weird movie. Um, so maybe at some point we'll do that for fun because I remember the this, the disappointment of the Village in the cinema as a young person who was a big fan of M Night at that point because obviously he'd done three movies that I fucking loved to that point um so yeah but um do you want something interesting about this though about that about, that about m night in that year particularly mm, yes yeah, sorry what was your, he'd, what was your piece of trip he'd, 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 he'd the reason i am doing this here and not in the main trip is because it's not actually related to this movie i just found this i found this out while researching this movie and i thought it was interesting he actually was responsible for three scripts that year three of the mm-hmm. movies that were released that year or was involved in them in some significant way um he also was credited as writing on Stuart little <laughs> nice and his final role that year of writing wise of a movie that came out that year um which i think he goes uncredited for but he was a secret like a like he was like a like a ghost writer like script doctory character that was brought in like initially under the table like just paid to fix up the script um but you will be surprised to hear chris that it was she's all that you know, one day I'm going to pick She's All That for this. <laughs> that could be fun. That could also be fun because I don't think I've... Have I ever seen She's All That? I feel like that's one of those movies that if you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I've seen She's All That. But if I actually went back through it, I'd be like, I think maybe I've only seen all, you know, the famous moments from She's All That. You know, the taking the glasses yeah. off. Like, I don't actually know if I've ever sat down and watched that movie top to bottom. <laughs> um, that's fair. 
But yeah, so he, what you know, he, wow. that's a hell of a, a year for him, isn't it? Right. I mean, also just, just genre-wise, tonally, to jump from the Sixth Sense to Stuart Little to She's All That, it's a, that's a hell of a spectrum. Do you think? Mm. Do you think? Um, in terms of the horror of it all, yes. Do you think, in a way, if you were a big horror fan, mm. you'd almost be because there is a great that, and it obviously happens really early on. Yes. The moment she leaves the room, having just closed all right. the drawers, mm-hmm. and then returns a second later, and they're all open again, but he sat in the same position, mm-hmm. is fucking brilliant. It's and really I, good. it the the movie doesn't then maintain, and I think it's a good thing because I think what it does is better. But the movie doesn't maintain that level of horror. Do you think it's scenes like that that give it a reputation for being a horror? And do you think if you went in, you'd get pumped for a horror based on that scene and then you'd be a bit like, oh. Yeah, I think it, it does come back to it in places, but it's not consistent. Like, I mean, this, I think the tent sequence is pretty is pretty creepy for this movie. Like, you know, when, he's, when he turns around and she's in the tent with him and she's like vomiting, like, that's pretty grim. Mm. That's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's the other moment in the movie that always strikes me as being like, either horror adjacent or just outright horror um it's just not enough of the movie is that um yeah i think you're right i think you could be yeah i think definitely it could feel like a i feel like a horror fan could sit down and watch this movie and not knowing anything about it you know back in like 99 or whatever and be like oh are we in for like a children of the corn type thing is this kid like got psychic powers mm. and gonna start like murdering people like where's this going um you know i mean the, i i think the reason it gets away with it is because i think the pacing is pretty slow on purpose so i feel like you kind of know you're not in for a big like crazy jump scares out the you know balls to the wall horror film just from the tone and the the pacing of the early sequences Mm. um i mean even the scene where he gets shot which is just beautifully paced and done like they go up the stairs and there's like glass on the floor and the phone's off the hook, and then there's the shadow crosses over them. Like, mm. it's so simple, but so effective, because it's a home invasion all of a sudden, and it's gone from two people just drinking some wine and talking about how one of them's just won an award to a home invasion, like, out of nowhere. And it's and, and again, if you were to watch this blind, you know, as, as, as you know, a lot of people did back at the time, in the day, like, that's a really effective scene. Like, I, I in fact, I suppose you kind of must have seen that scene blind because I can't imagine you expected it to become a home invasion thing, like, <laughs> two minutes in. So I imagine you no, kind of... No, 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 yeah. No, I, I found that whole thing really effective. I, yeah. It felt like, you know, sometimes you watch an older movie you've not seen before, mm. um... And it, it, it aesthetically, you know, it's maybe it's filmed on film or something. And right. just kind of aesthetically, you go, I'm watching a movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it brings that whole kind of like, I'm watching a film sensation um, right. to you. And I, I definitely had that for the first, you know, yeah, for most of, well, I suppose for most of this, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And I think that beginning in particular is is really effective the the problem is i i hate to sound like a broken record in a minute would you know go to go to your notes but the the problem is the minute he's shot i'm then in my head going right he's dead now no one else can see him but this kid okay you know what i mean yeah um 
So yeah. yeah, what are some of your other? What are your some of your general notes? What do you want to say? Yeah, so I, I want, I'd, I'd like to talk about a little. Well, let's talk about the music actually. Let's just let's just hit on the music. Mm. I think the music in this movie is like stunning. Um, it, it occasionally, apparently, apparently, it's sort of designed. The guy that scored it was called James Newton Howard. I don't know a lot about him and what else he's done, and I purposely kind of didn't look because I was just like, you know, what? I, he's this this soundtrack's so good, like. Uh, it's not going to, uh, you know, improve or disprove. Like, it's not going to improve my opinion of this score if it turns out he's worked on a bunch of other shit. Um, although I'm sure he's worked on, like, great things because this is just an amazing score. Um, but what he did was apparently he kind of, like, took sounds that sounded like elements from um, Requiem Mass, which is a Mozart track. Uh, track. Mozart track. Do you remember when Mozart dropped that track, Chris? That hot that hot track. Uh, Requiem Mass. Do you remember that? I remember he surprise yeah, dropped it, it on good... Spotify, and then it was all over TikTok yeah. the next day. <laughs> yeah, people were doing people were doing that video where they they ate ice cream really quickly. To it. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> or that or that one where they play it really loud, very suddenly, like James, like like the like the James thingy. So James Brown song, I feel, you know, I feel good, and then they jump out their skin. You know, one of those. Um, no, so that's an orchestral like choir piece that was sort of written for a funeral mass, essentially. So it's a really creepy Mozart song in general, and he's kind of um, kind of hooked into the spirit of that and the the, the sound of that hurt spirit. No pun intended, but I'll take it. Um, the <laughs> the you know that sort of creepy vibe that that has and like threaded that throughout all the music of the movie but obviously also giving it these weird hopeful notes because again as you point out it's not a movie about a boy being haunted Uh, it's about a movie about a boy who can see ghosts and that is a really specific difference it's actually a surprisingly uplifting film in the end i would say um Mm. it goes from feeling very hopeless when we meet the original uh, boy whose name I've forgotten uh, we'll just call him donnie Wahlberg because that's who's playing him um the original boy who um who who uh, Malcolm couldn't save who had the same affliction and it's just over and he gets shot and he's struggling with his wife and this kid's not doing well at school he's just being tormented by these things and no one will believe him like you know it's it's almost like a story in like it's, in some ways it's like it, it's a movie that starts at the midpoint you know normally a movie by the end of the second act all the characters are in their lowest point and then we come up to a happier place this movie starts at the lowest point and then digs its way out slowly and very effectively. And that's a really interesting structural choice because um, it's just miserable for so much at the beginning. Um, so the music is really effective at conveying like how upsetting and how like down this thing is. And then finding like a really hopeful place towards the end. And the music follows that. The scene in the car, which is already, you know, being delivered with absolute you know with an acting masterclass from tony collette and um oh god the kid's name has escaped me Haley joel osmond um you know they're both absolutely just nailing it but this music underneath just absolutely brings it around and then the and then the scene where um where malcolm realizes what's really going on again you know the, the music sells us on the drama of it when he's truly upset and then brings us around to a sort of a comfortable accepting place to help bring us to where the character is which is when he there's the initial horror of realizing it and almost denial and then he thinks back through it and then there's this like acceptance that leads us to the white that is the end of the movie which is him presumably moving on 
Um, yeah, and that whole, I mean, that whole last conversation between the two of them, well, not conversation, sorry, but, you know, him talking to his wife. Yes. It feels so uplifting. And you're right. I think it's all about the music, basically. Like, uh, because it's just so effective. And you feel like, really, like you say, you feel really, like, alive. You feel really like, oh, wow. Like, it's just, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the music is probably the reason why Ambrose Willis is giving a great performance. Right. Um, and the decision... You are obviously invested uh, in the characters at that point as well. I'm not, I don't want to detract from the script, but the music's really selling it as well. Yeah, no. And, and I think actually the, the script in the really smart script decision to have her be in this sort of... Because my interpretation of the scene is that she actually genuinely can hear him because she's in this fluid, sleepy state where... She's hard. She she thinks she's dreaming, but actually, she's not dreaming. Mm-hmm. And sort of in that state, she's able to make contact. Right. Um, That's how I read and, it too. But equally, you could just read it that she's asleep and dreaming, and it works that way as well. The decision mm-hmm. to have her asleep means you can have. It's really clever because you can have that moment of, oh look, she's actually communicate with him, communication communicating with him. But it doesn't break. You get the joy of if she could literally see him without that completely breaking the scene and the movie and you just going, wait, now she can communicate with the dead? Like, it's a really clever decision. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, another note I made repeatedly was just like the details, man. With the, the attention to detail of this movie is fucking nuts. So, um, and this is a rewatch thing, so I can't imagine you necessarily noticed this, but um, Donnie Wahlberg has a weird white tuft of hair just a random little mm. small white tuft of hair that they've painted in. I don't know if they, I, I guess practically, I guess they just like temporarily dyed a small, you know, couple of strands of his hair. And so does Cole. And Cole, if yeah, you look, right. has a little white tuft of hair behind his ear. It's in a different place, but he has it. Now, I believe there's a real thing where if you're traumatized or if you go through a state of trauma, there's, the hair can lose pigment. I've I've read that somewhere. I don't know if the, I don't know how scientifically accurate that is, but that is a thing that is definitely out there. Whether it's actually true or not, I don't know. Um, but it it's such a small detail, you'd barely notice it. Yet they went to the trouble to basically dye that little boy's hair, just a small part of it, behind his ear every day before shooting. For a detail wow. most people would miss. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> Do you have in the triv about the the red yes. element as oh, well? Oh, I've got a whole... Yeah. There's a. I mean, I'm not going to read it all, but man, there's a boatload of stuff about the use of red in the movie, which I'm assuming you did a bit of Googling. To yeah, so that's on the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well, which I think is really clever, is just the, the use of the being cold. So at the beginning of the movie, when, you don't, when you're not supposed to yet know it's a ghost movie, the characters are constantly sometimes overtly sometimes subtly referencing it being cold so sometimes a character just walks into a room and goes what's well, cold in here and you know why when you rewatch it mm. but there's just a lot of in the background people adjusting thermostats a lot of people putting on jumpers you know just other ways of indicating the temperature has dropped without overtly saying it and when you watch it back and you realize how many times that happens because obviously in a lot of these scenes bruce willis is present malcolm's present and it's like fuck <laughs> they really yeah, thought yeah. that through <laughs> so small but 
very very clever um yeah uh i think as well all the little details of the things he's doing in the earlier part of the movie that seem abstract or out of nowhere like grabbing the statue which seems without context you're just like what you know um, and his response to the question of is you know is there something you want more like you know can i get something i don't want you know which is a great line um you know i don't want to be afraid anymore um and you know and that hint at the beginning of donnie warbo's character calling himself curse just they just it's basically just really well embedded the whole way through the movie and again if you watch the movie knowing where it's going of course all that stuff isn't embedding that's just like oh okay there's the that's they're talking about the plot that i'm already aware of um but again i just think it's so cleverly done mm. um and there's so much also, attention to that detail which is one of the reasons why when we talked about like the dialogue choices earlier and whether you know from your perspective is it an accident and from my perspective it seems very deliberate because so much of this movie seems so deliberate regardless yeah, of fair. m night's other stuff i go he made a lot of very clear choices here where he specifically like you don't do the tuft of hair thing by accident <laughs> right no that's that's completely and if fair. there's that and, much and, thought into that then presumably i have to assert and, and it is hey maybe i'm wrong but I, that my brain assumes that there's that much thought put into all the other elements of it well also and i'm probably stealing this from um your triv so apologies but i thought <laughs> it was amazing that um when i read that every single scene with Bruce Willis, he is either wearing yes. or he has something he wore or touched like before, just before he died. So like the jacket and actually everything they managed to by it being a suit and a jacket, which again is a very clever decision mm-hmm. pointing to, you know, a very clever script. Um, the everything they're able to make it look different by having different stages of kind of where the suit is worn but actually, fundamentally, it's everything that he was in contact, contact with just before he died, which again, very clever. Yeah, he's yeah, it's a it's a really big suit, jacket, vest situation, and he's either just in the shirt, so he's at the very lowest layer of it, or he's got the vest on, which makes it look like a different outfit again, or he's uh, it's wider than that, and he's got the the the, 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 the sort of uh, the suit jacket on, or then if if he's outside. He's got the coat on top of that, and by taking and adding any of those four or five layers, it, the, throughout the movie, it looks like he's wearing many, many different outfits, but he, he never is. And the other thing I think is really clever is the um, jumper. So he has a jumper that he wears sometimes when he's at home, like going through his notes. It's like his more casual look, but I believe that jumper is on the bed, like like as if laundry or something, like when he falls on the bed and dies. So that's how they get away with the use of the jumper. Um, pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah, it's very clever. Very clever, indeed. Um, so, yeah, so I just want to give them credit for, like, just fucking hell. The, the attention to detail in this movie is kind of insane. Um, and the the, the the determination that the twist works backwards is why people... Mm. is one of the reasons I think people cite this movie so Because there are so many movies, particularly... You don't get it these much these days because everyone would just say it was absolutely shit and didn't make any sense but there was a lot people watched movies a lot more casually in the 80s and beyond earlier in the 90s even and earlier yeah, you know but the, this sort of internet over analysis of every detail of a movie is just you know it was like a thing you went and you casually imbibed and then you went home you know um yeah because that's that's fuck tv a lot as well like people right. you know coming up with whole 
plot theories based on trailers and you know Westworld accidentally getting spoiled just because if there's that it's a numbers game sometimes if yep. there's that volume of theorizing someone's going to get something right and it's kind of like if there's that volume of chatter if there's that volume of right. public opinion shit's going to get spoiled or guessed correctly um, exactly these days. And, I, so, and I think what's yeah. really interesting in this example is like you know I feel like in this era, or certainly this is on the cusp of an end of an era where making the twist actually makes sense when you think about it was not really a concern. <laughs> you know, no, whatever. He's it's actually been Earth all along, has it? Does that make sense? Planet of the Apes? Are you sure? <laughs> um, like, really? Um, I, thought, I thought you were talking about another. Uh... Another M Night movie. <laughs> oh no no no! But like, I, but I just mean like, yeah. So there was a, plenty of like examples of like you know twist endings that just like you actually go if you go back, do they a hundred percent fit? They probably roughly fit, but do they exactly fit? You know, he went to a lot of trouble to make sure that there's no moment in this movie you could look at and go, ah, there you go, they blew it, they blew it right there. And like even to the point where he had to make uh, Bruce Willis apparently is left-handed, um, but obviously he didn't want to reveal the wedding band. So whenever you see Bruce Willis writing in this movie or circling stuff in his notes, it's always with the right hand, which Bruce had to sort of oh, wow. train to do because they never want to show you that he's not wearing his wedding ring. Yeah. And again, one, I wouldn't have fucking noticed that. <laughs> but 10 points for going all no. the trouble to make that fucking work because I, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, it always makes you think back to that. You know, that, that, that story that, um, that Mark Hamill tells. Um, to Harrison about Harrison Ford when he's on the set of Star Wars and they're doing a scene after the trash compactor and Luke's like well wait if we were just in the trash compactor shouldn't my hair be messed up or whatever and Harrison Ford's like look kid if they're noticing that (laughs) you know it's the wrong kind of movie like whatever he says like he has some some wry remark about how you know it's not that kind of movie kid Um, you know where details matter and I just feel like M. Night was very much making the opposite of that like this is a movie where those details really mattered to him and he put a huge amount of thought and care into every single shot and choice and i I, I, it just it just yeah every scene in this movie just oozes that to me and it's it's such an impressive feat um because like even you know when i first went back to watch this movie a second time well i'll be honest actually i I don't think i necessarily initially went back immediately watched it a second time what i think i did was rewound back through the movie Mm. and there were scenes i remember looking for like the scene i was like i'm sure he was talking to cole's mum sure convinced of it and i found the scene and cole enters the house but they're sat in silence the implication is they're finishing a conversation but we don't see it (laughs) because it's not happening not only that not only that she she then she then she doesn't act she doesn't even but and this again broken record is the difference because she she doesn't even and it's 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 genius but because because you already know the genius is hidden um whereas if you've if you've seen it not knowing the genius is there because you saw it not knowing sorry that i'm making that point a lot but again it's it's fascinating to me because you know with what's genius about that is she doesn't even she doesn't act in a way that someone's there because she immediately starts talking to Cole about his day right. and like does a whole thing about um, this is what I did what did you do maybe I don't know if it's that but she has no, some sort of conversation that's with exactly Cole the one. and and it's like you wouldn't do that with someone sat in the chair 
but again, you don't because you because you cut to him smiling and it's like, oh, he's listening and learning. Because you mm-hmm. see his interaction with it, I'd imagine if you didn't know, you don't notice that she's not interacting because you're seeing interaction with that because you're seeing right. him interacting with it, which is perfectly allowed yes. because he can and Cole can and etc. And, and even yeah, even Cole then. Their whole the genius of the step thing is Cole's not then talking to himself for half an hour or whatever because in in you notice yeah. that the mum is not listening to Cole talk to himself so therefore is not coming in going what the fuck are you doing because he's doing the whole stepping backwards yeah. stepping forward thing and then the other one which I think I only noticed on this viewing and it's so small but I go oh that's kind of clever too she says. She talks about what they're going to have for dinner, and then she says, you've got an hour. And the reading of it, if you're watching it cold, is, oh, it's an... I've phrased it not exactly as she does, but like something like that, is, oh, he's an hour session with his child psychologist. Yeah. But the the, the reality is, she's saying, you've got an hour to dick about until dinner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I will say nitpicks though. Go on. Quite a fancy, spacious hall and living room, isn't it, compared to the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. No, I found that. Yeah, they wanted. I, yeah, it's clear that like his 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 determination for the details to all fit and make sense clearly ends at. Does the shot look worse if I? <laughs> I mean, there's a shot later on where it, it feels like quite a cramped living yeah. space. But in those scenes particularly, you're like, oh, is that actually quite a nice place to live in? Yeah. Like- no, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that is a proper trip to nitpick corner because it's 100% there at an issue, but it's like pretty inconsequential. But I agree. It's oh, kind yeah, of strange because that living room looks really fancy and nice. And like, it's a big open hallway and it seems like it has a high ceiling. And like, you're just like, wait a minute, what's this dinky little room they were in eating dinner? They should eat dinner in the living yeah. room because that's fucking massive. <laughs> yeah 100 percent agreed it, um it feels like it feels like in the kitchen scenes they need to feel like quite a poor family going through like do you know what i mean maybe they've yeah. got money troubles maybe they, they you, you need to feel their woes um and then there's other scenes where you're like well move move into a smaller place for one there's two of you <laughs> yeah 100%. But yes, that is absolutely uh, yeah. nitpick. nitpick um, in my notes, I just noticed twice. I don't know why I did this. I literally, Chris, typed out the fucking scene in the car three separate times on three separate lines in all caps. So apparently I really enjoyed <laughs> the scene, scene in the car. <laughs> oh, it's a great... It is, And like I said, again, my even my criticisms of that started with what a great fucking scene. I like, mean, yeah. like... Everything about that scene, I think, is so clever because, like, it's that it's that whole idea of like how he gets into it as well is also clever. The reason they're stuck in the car is there's been an accident ahead of them. That makes perfect sense. The fact that Cole knows there's been an accident, and when he says there's been an accident, someone dies. She's like, "Oh my god, can you see that?" She's like looking for the, you know, ahead to see if like, oh, can he see a body from where he sat? Like that's horrible. And then like the cut back to Cole, and you can just see the dead cyclist ghost next to him. Like, genius. It, it what just, is it, nuts, it, by the way? What's that, sorry? So go on. Well, on related to that, what's crazy, Dan, is we're an hour and 12 minutes into recording and we've not really talked about how incredible Tony Collette and Harvey... Harvey <laughs> well, I was getting, yeah, my, ne- my next and like sort of final overall note was about the acting. Yeah, 100%. And this scene is a great way to talk about it because it is a fucking masterclass. This kid yeah. and 
you know, Tony Collette, who is already, you know, one of the greatest working actresses on the face of this earth, and fucking don't at me. It's just you, you're if you don't agree with that statement, you are wrong. <laughs> well, Dan, Dan, Dan Merle always claims that she was robbed of an Oscar for um, what was that film she did recently? And and his whole thing is like the Oscars not recommending was it not uh, hereditary genre hereditary? Yeah. yeah, he's like it's 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 the Oscars snobbery at certain genres mm-hmm. robbed her I of an felt, Oscar for Hereditary. I felt so smug watching Hereditary because obviously I, being a fan of this film growing up, I've always held Tony Collette in quite high esteem. And she's been in a bunch mm. of stuff. She's done very well. She's always good. But she doesn't get... Well, she's... She, I feel like I feel like that table is turning a little bit, actually, the last couple of years. I feel like she's gotten a lot more recognition for her work. But, like, she definitely was just, like, one of those actresses, working actresses that was just kind of there for a while. And, you know, she was getting roles and doing good work, but, like, you know, going re- relatively unrecognized. Um, and I remember I was watching Hereditary, and she was it was just, like, this opportunity for her to be just amazing for, you know, two hours of one of the best movies made in the last, like, 20 years or whatever. Um, I was just, like, she's... <laughs> Like, she's amazing and now everyone can see it like finally <laughs> and there was so much you know stuff online about how good she is in that movie and i'm like yeah i fucking knew it <laughs> i knew it you bastards yeah. <laughs> all along but she... not in the eyes of the academy <laughs> evidently not no hereditary got got robbed in general like hereditary was incredible and yeah the, the lack of you know the awards recognition for hereditary was upsetting um anyway different issue um yeah she's she's you know a, mu- a much younger actress um you know t- t- 20 years removed or whatever from from six Sense now but like uh, you know back then she was still just amazing and the 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 the, the, the emotion she's she conveys is so raw and so real when he starts t- talking about the 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 stuff with the grandmother and that's that stuff with the grandmother is amazing because it's like hit after hit after hit he says one thing that would almost certainly upset her because it's like it's almost like because initially she thinks he's obviously making it up and that's really horrible you can't pretend you've spoken to a dead person like that's very disrespectful so she goes through a whole gamut of of emotions there from like not believing him and being upset that he's doing this to being upset when she realizes the truth, to being upset about what it is he's actually telling her. And it's like, every time he says something else and she seems to either get more or less upset or what she's upset about shifts, I'm like, kid, stop it. You're going to kill this woman. (laughs) Like, this is savage. Like, you can see what she's going through. Stop talking. (laughs) It's it's also amazing because as, as good as the script is in that scene, she has to go through a whole range of you know not believing him right. believe not wanting to believe him hearing evidence that makes her believe him to completely believing him and being mm-hmm. affectionate for him like in the hands even with that script because i think the script of that scene is, is fantastic my mm-hmm. my issues were not never with the scene it was no the, you you, uh, you, you were talking embedding. about like so the way it was embedded um, and set up earlier in the movie yeah yeah, yeah. completely um but in the hands of lesser actors I think that scene wouldn't be as effective because of the mm-hmm. sheer broad, the the sheer range of in heightened emotions conflicting with each other that she has to take us through in that scene. Yeah. And, but you believe it because of her, even like she's not in the scene in the film that much, but even Olivia Williams, uh, not even that sounds really offensive, but it with not much, even Olivia Williams is mm-hmm. stunning in this film. Yeah. She's great. She's really good in this film too. Um, I, I, yeah, the cast top to bottom are pretty amazing. I mean, uh, pr- to be fair, I think it's interesting because 
while I do consider this one of the ones Bruce clearly actually gave a shit about, I am interested because I do wonder about this one because it is quite a stoic character. His character is a person that is trained by the very nature of the way this character is designed, trained to not be always giving away his emotions in a scene, right? Because a, a bad a psychiatrist reacting to what you're saying in any way, shape, or form would be a bad would be bad form, right? They they need to be neutral and passive a lot of the time. So when he's talking to Cole and he's just being stoic and you know Bruce Willis, sometimes I'm going, that's brilliant acting, and sometimes I'm going, is that brilliant acting, or did Bruce just kind of doze off on the set with his eyes open, <laughs> like? There, there are definitely a few scenes where I wondered which it was. And that's really bad to say. And I don't want to assume the same way we were talking about earlier about maybe it's not fair to assume the intent with M. Night here because of his other work. Uh, you know, I know that there are times Bruce Willis shows up to the set and doesn't give a fuck. And depending on the movie, and he sort of makes a decision whether he's turning up or not. Um, and can switch it on whenever the fuck he wants. And if you want evidence of that, please dig out Kevin Smith's um, sort of... Um, you know, from from a Q&A, his whole 20-minute thing about Bruce Willis. It's an amazing story for a start, uh, but what it was like to work with Bruce Willis on the set of uh, Cop Out. Really eye-opening for what Bruce Willis is like. But um, yeah, I, I, I must I think, admit, he's great I, in this movie, but I did wonder, is that just because they I, gave him quite a stoic part that he didn't need to, like, to sell it? He, he needed to be understated, not overstated. Yes, but I think you're thinking there specifically, and your references are specifically the stuff with Cole. He does, I think he shows he's trying any scene which involves his wife. Right. Because, you know, yes, when he's watching the tape, when he thinks she's, in his eyes, going off with another man, all of that stuff, he's, he shows more range. And, you know, it's... um. It's a good level of subtlety, subtlety, not stoicness. I think. I think his. No, I agree with that. In some ways, his he it gets the most attention. Him with the kid, but in some ways, him with his wife is is his best acting in the film. Mm. Yeah, I think you're actually right, especially because yeah, no, I think about that last scene. He's the one who delivers the speech. You know, her reaction yeah, to yeah, it is very. Completely. Yeah, you're right, a hundred percent. Yeah, and the jealousy and stuff, and the way he portrays anger with the other dude. I mean, doesn't he? I mean, there is a scene where doesn't he call him like a cheese wad or a cheese dick or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. Bruce Willis. Yeah, keep but, walking, um, cheese dick, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> which just felt like it was ripped out of. I, for a second, I went, "Oh, am I watching Die Hard?" Yeah. Like it just did. Like, yeah, but, it was like it was like yeah. um, that was the day that um, M Night Shyamalan said, "Can you just give me a like ten percent John McClane for like this one?" <laughs> <laughs> can you just get a little John McClane out of you for this one <laughs> and he was just like sure kid and he just did it <laughs> that's for you M. Night <laughs> um, you're right by the way I didn't I didn't jump on the yeah that it's too too fat for 40 is the special with that story in right um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's it a really amazing. look it's a it's a great um, it, it's a really interesting insight into Bruce Willis um, uh, and, and obviously two sides to every story don't believe everything everyone says ever but it does fit with other accounts, and it also fits with something we're going to talk yeah. about in a few minutes relating with, to this movie. With we'll, we'll the come Bruce, back to that. it's funny the Bruce Willis Kevin Smith stuff because if ever Kevin Smith has a lot of you know in his early you know evening widths and stuff. There's a lot of stuff about Tim Burton. There's a lot of stuff about Prince. There's you know all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. As he's got older, and I the I feel like since Prince passed away. 
Um, he he hasn't been. He very very rarely is negative about anything, but in particular, he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't do the people stories in the way that he used to do yeah. back in the day with those evening widths, except with Bruce Willis, <laughs> where he is consistently like, oh yeah, that was a tough experience. And I think he's so consistent with Bruce Willis in light of changing it with everyone. <laughs> and like you say, it's so backed up by stuff that you kind of go, wow. there's two versions of every story, but like, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. Kevin definitely felt that way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let's quickly wrap the film because like, some of that stuff's going to come up in the trip. So let's, um, yeah, so the acting, amazing, music, incredible. Um, for me, I think it's one of the tightest scripts. It's definitely M. Night's tightest script, I would say. Um, I appreciate the pacing and the subtlety of it and a lot of the, the choices to make it a sort of slow, plodding sort of mystery about the, 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 essentially a, a, a child psychologist and, and a child like who's going through trauma. Um, but it, it also is this kind of beautiful story of a, of a mother and son sort of having that um having a uh, a barrier between them and this psychologist helping him deal with that while the kid also helps the psychologist deal with his stuff it's great like for me it's 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 pretty awesome um i'm, I'm still a huge fan um wait so what, what what do you think you sort of like your jerry's final thought <laughs> on this one is because yeah i imagine I you've got I... a lot of complicated feelings about this movie because as we've established your viewing experience not optimal in any way shape or form but obviously still some yeah, legitimate think... criticisms which probably muddle things and it's hard to know i guess from your perspective when you're when you're thinking it through you're going is this a legitimate criticism this has been how much has this been affected you must be not doubting, but you must be sort of like 50-50 on even your criticisms of going, oh, which ones are affected by my viewing and which ones are just like legit. Like I would struggle in your shoes to make like what I would consider an objective and opinion about the film. So I guess just your honest sort of like regardless of objectivity based on the viewing you had, what are your sort of final thoughts on the on, on the film? I'm, uh, I'm laughing because not, not in any way do I think deliberately on your part but that was like i i started picturing the scenario of um of like the director of an episode of jerry the jerry seinfeld show going right jerry um the camera's on you now uh we we're ready for your final thoughts jerry in three two one and then just stepping in front of the camera and going what we've learned today is that if you're gonna have a burger like because it was basically you read what are your final thoughts i'd well, imagine and then just inadvertently gave my entire final thoughts um, well no because I, I was trying to i was trying to basically pre- prevent you from having to say it again and say i oh, know a broken record yeah, but, the, but, but i was is, also trying is... to get that stuff out of the way and say well just like with all that removed what are your final thoughts so you don't have to basically so... go through that stuff again so i was i was trying to be helpful and sorry if i stepped on what you were actually going to say <laughs> No, no, just I wanted to explain why I was laughing. I didn't want to seem rude. Um, as I started, I know it wasn't deliberate. Um, it just made me laugh once I started picturing that Jerry Springer thing. Um, <laughs> the yeah, but it's so it's so weighted by that dude. Like I agree with everything you have said. Um, I agree with all the compliments on the music, the genius of the script, um, and I fully accept as you know part of the discussion and even in some ways in kind of how i introed it it's it is my viewing experience is so overshadowed by 
um knowing and i think it's that thing we talked about of the genius because the genius of that scene with the mum is a real good example of it the genius is when you go back and watch it you go ah that's what i didn't see whereas it's so hard to appreciate that genius because i'm not looking out for what i didn't see because i'm looking out for what i've seen because i know um, and I think that overshadowed my viewing um, and would overshadow the viewing of someone so, that knows. But that doesn't take away from the film itself, which is a masterpiece. Um, yeah. So I guess I in think, a weird way, yeah. me sort of saying like, oh, with all that aside, because there's really no way for you to put that aside, I guess is what we're getting at. No, because it... it, it, it I, and, you know, maybe maybe there are people out there, if someone's listening to this and going... Well, I knew, and that didn't affect my viewing. Fair play. That's awesome. Um, mm. But, you know, personally, it, it, it affected mine. Um, but mm. I think... Did you watch it with Jess, by the way, or did to... you watch it alone? No, I watched it alone. I kind of wish I had watched it with Jess in a way. Um, I think she'd have felt the same way as me. Um, but, you know, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I... But it is, it, it, is, it is a masterpiece, and I, I do take... I do put that to putting it aside. I agree with everything you've just said, mm. um, but it's it is hard for me to it's hard for me to put it aside. No, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Especially if your sort of experience with M Night is just you know the, tr- the, the the troubled years. You know, if you've not seen a lot of his best movies, you've sort of you've only come across no, him through I think... like Last Airbender and like you yeah, know. Say, I think I've only seen Last Airbender. <laughs> right. Right, which is just a shit show, top to bottom. Yeah, that's fair. Um, well, maybe at some point we'll do Unbreakable it, then, because I really like Unbreakable. I still stand by Unbreakable as a really great film. And I, and I think Signs is um, probably the most flawed of the three first films he did. But again, Signs has one of the genuinely scariest film scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, and by all accounts, Split is phenomenal as well. Split's great. Split is really good. Um, very pulpy. Um, not like this in terms of it being sort of like slow and thoughtful and character based but it is still very very good really fun sort of genre movie um anyway let's uh let's triv it up as you would say chris triv it up <laughs> um so um the, ro- the role was written with bruce willis in mind um that was kind of always the thought we'll get back to why that was an option for him in a minute <laughs> um in the early drafts of the script uh, malcolm was actually going to be a crime scene photographer not a child psychologist I assume those versions of the scripts were clunky because how do you explain him keep talking to this child? That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's the, That's, that wouldn't it's have all, been good. It's almost yeah. all of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and I think it wouldn't, wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked at all. <laughs> I suspect not. So um, you know, but we it's part of the process. We we work these things out as we rewrite, and we go, oh yeah, that doesn't actually function. Um, so yeah, smart to have changed that. I think. Um, David Vogel, uh, the president of production at Walt Disney Studios, had read the spec script and instantly loved it. Um, without um, obtaining corporate approval, he actually bought the rights to the script uh, there. This, this and is madness. Then. Um, you've heard about this, I assume. Yeah, it's nuts. So basically, he paid $3 million, and it also came with the stipulation that Shyamalan would direct the film. So they, by buying it with that stipulation attached, they had no choice. Um, Disney were not convinced this was a good option and a a film that they should be making Uh, but they didn't obviously make it under the Disney banner it was the Buna Vista or whatever it's called that old sort of like side hustle that Disney had Um, but they've since shut down but they used to make movies through it Um, they they were not at all 
happy with his choice to buy it without their approval. In fact, the script sold in record time. It went on the market and was sold within 13 hours or something stupid like that, which is like a record. And the reason that that's a record is because obviously he didn't have to consult the people above him. He just bought it. The problem um, then became that Disney weren't happy, fired him immediately, um, and then they sold a huge percentage of the film's rights to Spyglass Entertainment who then put up a lot of the money for production with the idea being they would then get the higher percentage of the profit. And when I say higher percentage, I mean Disney got 12% of the box office of this film and no more. Now, wow. I'd, I, to say that now, was a mistake my, on Disney's part is, <laughs> is an understatement. My big question at stories like that yeah. and then stories like the... I, and I... I'm always meaning to look it up to see whether it's hearsay, but isn't didn't the story go that the guy that commissioned the lost pilot got yeah. fired because it was the most expensive pilot ever made and stuff yeah. like that? It, I always go, did they get? Please tell me they got like rehired by someone else or like snapped up. Like yeah. that wasn't the end of their career because people went, oh yeah, no, we we fucked this one. Um, let's let's get him back. Uh, <laughs> you were right. Yeah, I would have to look into it, but yeah, isn't that crazy? So he he took a risk was absolutely spot on and Disney was so upset by his choice and so unconvinced of the movie they so, they fired him and sold basically all of any profit they might make from this script to a different production company and the irony being that it was kind of a sleeper hit so entertainment weekly do like a you know films of the summer preview every year and they listed 134 films that were coming out in summer 1999 and the sixth sense was not mentioned once <laughs> It was. It wasn't on that list at all. No one thought this movie was going to make any money at all. And then it came, uh, and it was made for forty million, uh, and it made six hundred and seventy-three million at the box office, making it the highest, uh, second highest-grossing film of ninety-nine behind Phantom Menace. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, some of the other films that came out that year were like Toy Story two and stuff. And it was like, how? Like you know, there was a James Bond movie out that year, Chris. And it still came second. Huge year, huge year for movies. Yeah, Um, and the Matrix, and it was a huge. But then it was on top of it making six hundred and seventy-three million at the box office. It it then became an absolute massive hit in the home video market because word of mouth. Um, Basically, the movie shipped more than two point five million copies to rental stores, and they estimate was rented by about eighty million people in two thousand, making it the year's top rented VHS uh, slash DVD title. Um, so Disney got 12% of that <clears throat> because they sold it. Um, and you kind of go, yeah, deserved. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they I, I don't want to phrase it, it this way too often, but Chris, they fucked it. <laughs> they proper yeah. fucked it. There's no other way to slice that decision. Now, what's really interesting is it's not exactly clear what Disney ended up paying for the production. It may have just been Bruce Willis because I don't know if you're aware of this, Chris. But as a result of a disastrous, abandoned, half-filmed romantic comedy with Bruce Willis and Demi Moore called Broadway Brawler, Bruce Willis was legally obligated to make three movies for Disney. Legally obligated. So, why? What were the? Uh, by the way, I'm just, I'm I'm going. I can still hear you, but I'm I'm desperate for the loo. I'm going to nip because. But this sounds fascinating. Go on. What's the What's the yeah. story there? How? <laughs> so, basically, Bruce Willis was making a movie with in co-production with Disney, and he was acting as the producer. And 
um, it was going to be a romantic comedy, as I mentioned, with Demi Moore, and it was called Broadway Brawler. The production was an absolute nightmare that devolved into, and I don't want to get it, I could spend all day going through the accounts of what happened on the set of Broadway Brawler. Um, but lots of arguments, lots of not being very productive, huge amounts of money wasted, and in the end, Bruce Willis on the set fired the director and most of the crew because he was also a producer as well as a star. <laughs> um, in the end, production shut down and Disney were out of pocket $17 million, which is, and I quote, no, I don't quote, I quote myself, fucking madness. Um, so there was instantly talk of uh, legal action against Willis. Um, you know, Disney, you know, he owed them $17 million in a lot of ways because he didn't finish the movie they were paying him to make. So the parties eventually came to an agreement where Bruce Willis signed a special guaranteed three-picture deal so he couldn't refuse the movies for a reduced fee. The, I think the, the numbers I saw were that he would... It was at that point, he was taking... Because he was a big star, you know, Die Hard and all that stuff. He was taking like 20 million per movie. Um, I believe they halved his fee. So he was only taking 10 million per movie. The idea being that Disney would save roughly 30 million across the three pictures. And therefore would consider themselves compensated for the shit show that was that was what's crazy about that to me is not sorry it's not the not the reduced fee he couldn't refuse the movies nope fuck <laughs> right and That's that is how we ended worse, up with you want to know which the fee thing do you want to know which three movies were the three movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was then forced to star in Armageddon The Sixth Sense and everyone's favourite Disney classic, The Kid. Do you remember The Kid? Chris? No, but, you, but I'm so, no, I don't remember The Kid. But like, <laughs> bad movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a, it's, and I know Armageddon has its flaws. Right. But it's incredible to me that two of those films were roaring successes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, Armageddon was a dice roll though, because they, they knew Deep Impact was in production. So with you know they were rushing that one out like they they were like that movie was um its own interesting like it's kind of a miracle that movie is watchable at all because they were desperate to get it to market prior to Deep Impact. I just think that's <laughs> surely surely the deal you sign is all right. Look, I'll do three movies within five years for half my fee. But to to be like all right, whatever, what you got, right? Okay, cool. And it just feels like Disney just treated the six senses like, what? All right, give it to Spyglass. What? Exactly. All right, give, it, give it to Willis. Correct. Like, just yeah. It it feels like they were unsure of the movie. They um didn't want to contribute to the production. They because they didn't think it would make any money. But they had Bruce Willis on the hook for a much reduced fee and thought, well, if we're gonna have to put money into this. Let's see if we can turn a small profit by putting a star in it. Maybe it'll at least sell some tickets if you can put Bruce Willis's name and or face on a poster. That's how it seems to me. Mm. So, um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of the ins and outs of that are, you know, slightly speculative. But the fact of the matter is, he did sign that three-picture deal to make up for the money lost. The money lost... I've seen a few different figures on how much money was lost on Brooklyn Brawler. I suspect it might even be more than has been 
suggested, but the highest end version of it I've seen was 20 million, and the lowest end version of it was 15. So the number that came up the most was 17, which is somewhere in the middle. So I guess that's probably about right. Um, but so some of these facts are slightly off, but like this seems to be almost exactly what happened, and it was very heavily reported at the time. Um, and of course, yeah, the three movies he then made for Disney or Disney subsidiaries were Armageddon, Sixth Sense, and then The Kid. Um, uh, yeah, madness absolute madness so when i go so i said i'll come back to it when it says that he wrote the script with bruce willis in mind <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> i w- i wonder <laughs> yeah i wrote, maybe he rewrote rewrote the script with bruce willis in mind because disney went that's all that's happening here i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing man is, is that not one of the most crazy. insane stories we've told in the trivia <laughs> yeah i mean still for me i still want to like if i could make any show <laughs> it, it, it's it's yeah part and i'd call it it's too long but i'd even call it part man part robot all cop or whatever it was right um like that's what that show would be called and it'd be about the making of robocop but that I'd, is I'd, I'd, I'd call it that fucking suit <laughs> Because like, do you remember like eighty percent of the trivia was about how much how many how many problems that suit created on set? Yeah. Anyway, um, let's get some of the other trivia out of the way. But that one, I was like, that is gold. I, I made a that is phenomenal, that man. Um, we've Truly. talked about this before, Chris, because we did last year. We did our quiz episode with Ronnie on nothing but static, and one of the rounds was um, about funny titles they gave movies in different countries. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, this movie in China was literally called He's a Ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and on the poster, they put the title above Bruce Willis's head. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you weren't sure. <laughs> Even, like, I See Dead People is better than that. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Insane. Oh, um, so, uh, according to Michael Sarah. This was actually the first film he ever auditioned for when he was a little babby. He would have been about the age of Cole, so about, you know, somewhere between like 9 and 11, which I think was the casting range for this movie. Um, The scene that they were doing for the audition was the magic trick scene, uh, but he later admitted that he didn't, he hadn't read the script fully and didn't understand the tone of the movie and played it very cheerfully like it was a comedy Um, because he didn't understand that Cole was supposed to be an introverted and quiet boy. So he played it a bit big and has admitted that he absolutely fucked it and it's his own fault he didn't get that movie. I want to see a remake where he's in it, but he doesn't play Cole. He plays Bruce Willis's part. Yeah, yeah. Michael Sarah's Malcolm. I love it. Um, So apparently the reason, there's a few reasons that Hayley Joel um, Osment got the the role of Cole. Um, But the, the, the ones that have been cited over the time obviously M. Night has repeatedly said he was the best person that auditioned but the other two reasons is um, he's the only boy that went to the auditions wearing a tie apparently he, that made him stand out for some reason to M. Night and then this third one I do kind of love this story was that apparently if when, when he when they did the scene which was presumably just the penny scene the, the, the magic trick scene um, which by the way we haven't really talked about it because it is in my notes this movie is really funny like out of nowhere four or five times the the magic trick scene isn't that funny but the payoff when he does it at the kid's party <laughs> and the other kid's like i don't get it and he's like it's supposed to be funny that made me chuckle but the one that really got me <laughs> to give this movie some credit for its comedy um is, is the is when it's the play and the play starts and every parent in the crowd gets out a camera 
that made me yeah. chuckle so much. It's so eerie and very funny. So anyway, different different comment, but yeah. Um, so he he auditioned presumably with the I magic. Know, tricks. We haven't talked about that actually. By the way, can I just say I love the notion that once he starts listening to the ghost and helping them, it also helps him socially and stuff at school. That's oh, a it's lovely. Beautiful idea. Yeah, that was lovely. I enjoyed that too. I enjoyed that too. Um, because he's not scared anymore. Like, is, when you think back through all of his behaviors, it's because he's constantly terrified. He's being, like, he's haunted at school. Or I say haunted. We, we've made, we've already made that distinction. But he's seeing ghosts at school. Like, mm. every day of that kid's life is a horror movie up until that point. Like, no wonder he was introverted and quiet, you know. And, and, and we haven't really talked about it, but the stuttering Stanley scene is one of the best scenes in the movie as well. Um, yes, yeah. Where the teacher is sort of like, asking about the history of the building they're in and Cole knows the real story but it's obviously wasn't recorded that way and the teacher tells him he's wrong but then he gets some information about the teacher and he like, uses it against him. oh it's incredible it's a, what a fucking brilliant scene anyway um so um I love that they do they do have to slip in later that he went to the school and <laughs> like people died and stuff to to explain why a ghost would know that <laughs> like, right yeah that, yeah yeah that's a bit yeah yeah the the the, I, the the fire there'd been a fire in that wing of the school or whatever yeah i remember um yeah, yeah. um so which is also another great moment of comedy where he's like you know there was a th- fire in this part of the theater and he's just like i know because yeah, yeah. It, 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 again the movie surprised me i yeah. i'd forgotten that this movie had jokes of any kind in it like i remember it being a relatively dour affair um but like yeah the, the cheese dick line the cameras thing that like it's all i, I, don't, yeah, think, I, I don't think the cheese dick line is that funny but yeah <laughs> it's funny because it's so out of i guess yeah i guess what's funny about that is that it doesn't feel like that was in the script <laughs> It feels yeah. like Bruce Willis just made that up on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so he, he does his reading, magic scene, and then uh, M. Night asked him, um, had you read the rest of his read the rest of the part? And he says, I read it three times last night, and Shyamalan impressed is like, oh, wow, you read your, your sections three times. He goes, no, I read the whole script three times. So um, I guess flattery is the best way to get a role. I was going to say, it, like this, this to me just sounds like good parents. Like this is a this is some parents that told the boy to do his prep before his interview. Like yeah, agreed. Yeah, I was agreed. always because my parents were like that. I remember I went for a job at a like a like a news agents, and they were like, "You got to wear a tie," and I was like, "I mean." I don't think I do. I wouldn't wear it. I wouldn't be wearing a tie working there. It was like literally lifting boxes and stuff. Yeah. And they were like, no, it's an interview. So you need to wear a tie. And it feels like, you know, maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe it was, maybe it was absolutely him, but it feels like there was someone going, right. Do your homework. Like as in on the script and read yeah. the script. Yeah. Read it, yeah. read it multiple times. Get familiar with it. Understand the character. Yeah. <laughs> and then make sure you wear yeah. a fucking tie. Yeah. No, agreed. Um, <laughs> The, Tony Collette has said that she was moved by the story's emotional relevant uh, resonance, um, and it wasn't even really aware it was a horror film until after its release. I would, I would actually, you know, I would imply that, that or suggest sorry that she's, you know, she was right initially. I don't think it really is a full horror film, but yeah, um, yeah, understand. Um, according to M Night Shyamalan, Donnie Wahlberg lost forty three pounds to play the role of Vincent Gray. That's the character's name, Vincent Gray. Um, no, you can tell he's lost a lot of weight for that role and it's a super great performance out of nowhere it's just like a small it's one scene in the movie but it's super harrowing and he does a great job playing an unhinged man who's been tormented his whole life and when you watch that scene as well knowing exactly what Cole's gone through it plays really powerfully as well because you sort of understand 
Um, like it's like it's the it's the it's the what could have been for Cole. So mm. yeah, it plays yeah, quite yeah. differently. Um, very good. Um, several members of M Knight's family are doctors, which is the reason he makes a cameo in this movie as a doctor. Um, so yeah. A little tribute to his I family. I thought that was him. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Is that M Night?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has a, a running trait that he cameos in all of his movies. Um, did he? Maybe he didn't cameo in Last Airbender. I can't remember that movie. I've purged it from my brain. But he, yeah, he he has a very brief appearance in pretty much every movie he's made, um, except for Lady in the Water, in which he cast himself as God, um, which is a wow. recurring thing people make fun of. A writer that literally like has the power to shape and change the world, like he basically casts himself as a godlike figure it's incredible it's uh, we'll come back to that um because it's a godlike point, creature that he's given the that he's given the same um profession as himself to as well yeah yeah it's really it's not great anyway we'll come back to that wow. um because at some point we must do lady of the water because that movie is an absolutely fascinating catastrophe <laughs> it's one of the most okay. interesting disasters i ever remember seeing in a cinema so yeah we'll definitely come back to that um I think Lady of the Water might be more discussion worthy than the happening. So, well, yeah, well. like I say again, the ha- the happening. If that's if that's the black and white thing, we've got to do that as an experiment on yeah, the static one day. Instead. Um, so the entire movie was filmed in sequence. Um, they they literally did all oh, the wow. scenes um, in the order they would appear. Um, interesting choice. Not really sure why, but yeah. Well, cool. Does that mean they well including so? They did the beginning of the death and then went back at the end and did the end of the death. Or, oh uh, yeah, no, I, I guess with that one they filmed the whole thing on the day. That one they must have filmed the whole thing. You got to assume, haven't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. But other than not that, to, it was you know, your trivia. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. That that wouldn't make any sense for them to go back to film that. But everything else filmed in you know in in, in sequence as it would appear, um, which is an interesting choice. Um, I guess with a movie like this where it's a lot of just people talking in rooms, there's really no reason. To shoot it non-sequentially. Well, there's exterior shots though, with like where you know from a production standpoint. Yeah, you'd want to gather them all together, wouldn't you? Normally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, they chose to but, shoot it in sequence. Oh well. Well. Yeah. Um. Oh, one thing. But, but well, you know what? You know why, Dan? Because Disney Disney didn't give a shit. They, <laughs> Disney looked at the schedule and were like, "We could do this in in a month, and we're doing it in two. Ah, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. M. Knight's got this weird idea he wants to do it in sequence whatever who gives a shit um, also a, f- a tiny bit of credit actually I'd, I, when I flick the movie back on I, I, my, one of my first thoughts is if this kid thinks he's a ghost does, it, does the kid not react scared when he first meets him I couldn't remember how they first met and re-watching that sequence that was yeah, fun he, yeah Seeing he runs him, away yeah. he runs away he literally runs away into a church like it's like oh yeah okay <laughs> forgot about that anyway um We've already talked about this, but the producer Frank Marshall um, thought that they gave the game away midway through the movie when they push in on Bruce Willis's face while Cole uh, says, I see dead people. Uh, fortunately, none of the audiences in test screenings or afterwards picked up on it, so they left it in the movie. But they were debating it at that point, whether it was too much. So there you go. Um, on the theme of giving away the ending, uh, like the Chinese title and poster for the movie um if you get this if you if you'd happen to pick up the, the the score to this movie on cd um and i imagine not a lot of people did it's beautiful music in the film i don't know if i'd want to just listen to it unless i maybe i was writing myself or something and i wanted the tone um i can't think of any reasons you'd want to listen to this music f- apart from the movie but the cd did exist and the uh, final song on the cd is titled malcolm is dead 
I mean, look, that's what's happening. I, I, I... That's quite that's quite common, though, isn't it, with film soundtracks? Like, well, it's yeah. There's been that's... a couple of famous examples. I think the, the the most famous example is actually weirdly from the same year, is it not? Is it wasn't it Phantom Menace had a track and spoilers for Phantom Menace when I wasn't seen it, but wasn't there a track called like Obi? Uh, no, Qui Gon's demise or something like that. Yeah, see, it should be like Qui Gon Jinn died or whatever. But I suppose even like. Malcon, Malcon, Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm moves on. Even is still quite spoilery, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I suppose. What do you call it? But <laughs> well, maybe you call it like you could, could you call it something acceptance. I had to do. Or yeah, no, even even that's a little. I think how he's been helping, or something I had to do, or yeah, yeah. Any, honestly, anything less of a. <laughs> would have been nice. Well, actually, actually, you know what it should be. You know what it should be. It you should know. be good. Good night, my love. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. But he shouldn't be. Malcolm is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could literally have named it song seventeen uh, or track seventeen. Like it wouldn't have. Like it would have been better than calling it Malcolm is dead. It's phenomenal. Love that. Calling it this movie isn't very good would have been better than Mark of His Dead. Like, and even though that would have been like a weird thing to do to shit on the movie, but like that still would have been better than giving away the ending. (laughs) Anyway, um, oh, we've already talked about this, but when circling a passage in his notes, Bruce Willis does so with his right hand. Willis is actually left handed, but had to learn how to write right handed so that the viewers wouldn't see the wedding band was no longer on his hand. He also, if if you're interested in this sort of thing, he draws the circle clockwise which is what a left-handed person does where a right-handed person would draw it uh counterclockwise so there you go um let's see oh apparently when cole and malcolm are entering um kaya's uh bedroom at her wake by the way played by a very young misha barton don't know if you noticed that but oh, was that who she played? Like I, I saw her name in the credits, right. or on the Wikipedia or something, and I was kind of like looking out for her, and then forgot about it at the end. But it's funny when we started talking, I was like, because I nearly made a point about it. it's the fucking longest intro credits ever. Like, <laughs> I know, like to be fair, no, I think if you go like this, we talked about this before. The trend back then was yes, to have the yeah, credits at the beginning. Like, do you remember the Space Jam ones? They gone for like five minutes. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I was like. Yeah, I I did think as we started recording today, I was like, there was someone in it who I was like, really, they're in it, and then couldn't see him in it. But yeah, it was it was her. Yeah. So, so no, I didn't character. clock it, but I clocked the names. Yeah, yeah. So when they had in, uh, she's she's so young, she doesn't really look like her. Like it's you know it's it's no. yeah, she's 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 a child in this, but it's still she's very good in it. Um, very creepy as that as that girl when she needs to be mm. creepy, and then yeah. very sympathetic when the when the tone switches. So um, a great, a great little performance. It's she's not a huge amount of the movie, but she she does very well with what she has. Um, when they when enter... does Adam? What do you mean the tone the tone switches? She's always sort of creepy, isn't she? When she hands him the tape, less so, I feel. She's kind of sympathetic. She's sick and in her room and vulnerable, and she hands yeah. him, she pushes the tape from under the bed. I didn't find her creepy in that scene. I kind of found her a bit of a sympathetic character at that point because I was kind of like, that's oh, fair. you just need help. Something's gone wrong. That's fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, you, know yeah. What I, I, you know what I think that scene doesn't need? It doesn't need the over... Cole... 
Cole helping the dad is enough. We don't need to then go, Annie saved the sister's life, which is sort of what the scene's implying. Yeah, because um, there's, a, there's a background line. There's, yeah, there's a line of dialogue that like you overhear as you're passing where someone's like, and I've heard that the younger daughter is getting sick too. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little. Yeah, much. and then we see the younger daughter, and they have a nice moment, and it's like, hey, you don't need that. That's yeah. But I like it though, because I, I again, it's like it's called doing something that makes him happy, which is like helping others, and like he's clearly that it's one of those yes, things again. It, yeah. Early in the movie, he's describing, um, Donnie Wahlberg's character, Vincent Gray, and he says, "Oh, you're compassionate. You were so compassionate," and like when you think back when you think back to that line when you've seen the movie and you realize that Cole was just a kid who cared about people and like had no yeah, way of expressing and, that. It all sort of loops around. And it's nice, I suppose, because actually, yeah, I do sort of take it back because it's the door, the, the girl who died, It my interpretation is it was never about getting justice. It was never about her dad knowing. Right. For yes, her, it was about saving her sister. Right. Yes, very good. And by having the over... And I hear this daughter, the other daughter's getting sick now too. Oh, it's terrible. you know. And then having him go to her with the thing, oh, she, she knows you always liked this, and giving it that sort of makes, mm. it makes that clearer. I agree. Yeah, that's, that's how, a really good point. How less... Cr- how less creepy is it though, knowing that in between the scene of her first appearing and then that scene, there must have been a scene where she said to Cole, "Right, this is the address. If you get the bus from four seven eight, then you <laughs> like." She doesn't speak, but she had to give him the facts at some point. It's <laughs> a really good point. Yeah, that, that's this. That's again about like the sparseness and minimalist nature of the film. I feel like sometimes doing little is is enough. Like, yeah, you're right because that would not yeah, be a yeah. good scene. You wouldn't want that scene in the movie because it would be awkward. No, and weird. No, of course not. Um, it would hurt the tone. Um, but anyway, but my point in the oh God, we've gotten off track so many times. When they enter her room, Malcolm is standing directly behind Cole. However, when the camera cuts to the shadows on the floor as the door opens, you can only see one shadow. Oh, wow, nice. That's a nice detail that I never picked up on, uh, even on this most no. recent viewing. And I had to, when I read that, I then went back and looked. Because I was like, what? Um, mm. I'll tell you another scene that I quickly, very quickly, that I found funny. The wedding ring scene made me chuckle. <laughs> Why? The one, no, there the, was, sorry, I've, I've realised there was obviously a very poignant wedding ring scene at the end. The, the one in the middle when she's trying to sell the ring to that unsuspecting couple. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, yeah. But so, I found that really funny. <laughs> like, she's like, she's like, um, you know, the, she basically implies, like, if you don't buy this ring, like, you, you don't think your wife is, like, special or deserves it or whatever. And he's just like, I well, just wanna... it was just it was just weird because they sort of gave, they gave them characters. Like, you know, the way he's like, oh, no, da 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 It's like, this is weird. Why are we, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it definitely bizarre. doesn't need to be in the movie, but I definitely chuckled at it. Yeah, I, it's, it, oh yeah, no, it's amusing. Yeah. Um, so um, let's talk about the color red. Um, there's a lot, so I'm going to rush through a bunch of these um, just to make this quick, because otherwise we could literally be here all day. But red is generally used to depict when the world of the living and the world of the dead would meet. Um, so if red was in a scene um, when they were filming it, and that would not have been the case, so the scene wasn't intended to be a bridging scene they would remove red from the set wherever they could. Um, they took real care to do it. So the places it is involved 
are very deliberately chosen. So the door to the church, when Malcolm and Cole first meet, that's red. The statue Cole takes from the church is a red robe. The door knocker to Malcolm's basement, which he's constantly trying to get through, is also red. Um, Cole's school uniform jacket is a kind of red maroon colour, because obviously at school that's teeming with ghosts. Um, Anna wears a red dress at the restaurant when Malcolm is late for their anniversary. Uh, Malcolm is watching Anna in the shower and notices a prescription bottle. This one I think is a bit... It's a reddish prescription bottle. I think that one's a bit thin, but... Um, Lynn's nail polish polish is red when she's pointing out the white spots on all of the pictures of Cole in the hallway. Cole's free association, free association writing is specifically chosen to be in red ink. Um, at the birthday party, the balloons are all pastel coloured, except for the single balloon that takes Cole up the stairway to where the ghost is. That one is red. Um, Cole is wearing a red sweater when he's attacked um, by the spirit in the closet. Um, Cole's blanket at the end, um, at the, when he's in the hospital, is red when he confesses to Malcolm. The birthday gift that Anna gives to Sean is in a red box, um, and she's wearing red uh, when the two of them embrace. Um... Malcolm listens to a taped session of Vincent. Oh, this one's my favourite one. As he turns up the volume on the cassette to the old Vincent tape to the point where he can hear the ghost talking, the numbers go from white to red at the very highest one. That's my favourite one. That's fucking great. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And some poor prop designer had to fucking paint because you wouldn't design it that way so someone had to paint those red um uh when she appears in Cole's fort obviously the blanket covering it is completely red the box containing her vhs is also red the outfit worn by her mum at the wake is also bright red and she's the only person wearing a bright color at the at the wake um i'm trying to think are there any, are there any others here that are worth going through oh yeah the, the 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 cleaner that colin mrs collins is adding to the soup has a red cap on it but i don't know that one i think is like that must be an accident because that's at what point is that interacting with the world of the dead no. um, uh, but wasn't it what I read was like world of the dead or highly emotional moments so maybe uh, yeah I saw that as well but then I was like that could just be any scene <laughs> so but yeah um, the bicyclist that Cole sees next to the car is wearing a red helmet and the blanket that Anna Crow covers herself with while watching the Reading video and being interacted with um, when Malcolm comes home is red. So there you go, big old list. But fuck me, that's a lot of detail and attention to thought. And like, again, my favorite one is the cassette player one, but they're all most of those are pretty good. Yeah, no, they're great. Yeah, no, it's again, like you say, attention to detail is stunning. Mm. So we're ready for my favorite segment, your favorite segment, everyone's favorite segment, world famous, the only thing people download this podcast for. Chris, it's time for cars exist. <laughs> 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 You know it's funny. Whenever we do that, I think of the the you know the formula. You know Formula One has like um the, a sort of a theme tune, and it used to be the chain. Yeah. You know by um who was the chain by Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but in recent years, they got bought by another company, and they decided to commission a, a composer to com you know a, a Formula One theme, and it's fucking brilliant. It's really good. It's like this big orchestral dun 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 but dun 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 dun. And then it, they, for some reason, it was, it felt like the guy composed this incredibly epic piece of music, and they went, "Oh, it's not very car based, is it?" So how the song actually goes, Chris, is dun dun dun, but dun 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 dun. It's the stupidest thing ever. 
and I love it. Anyone wants to find that piece of music online, it's great. Anyway, um, yeah, if you if you if you need to if you need to find it, um, it just it's available on CD. Uh, it's track number seven. Malcolm is dead. It doesn't fit that t- yeah. that doesn't fit that music either. But yeah, tra- track number eight. Lewis Hamilton wins again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the, I, there was so there are no obviously there's one featured car in the movie so i looked on the internet car movie database which is a real thing by the way that i've recently discovered um because can i make a point here the reason cars exist exists is because every movie we looked at every movie we looked at had the car they drive is a and then names the car piece of trivia attached to it and i I noticed this trend and then made it part of the podcast right simple as occasionally there isn't one in the trivia and then i'm like oh fuck i have to look up what this car was or whatever but last week for what was the movie we did last memento Memento, they did they didn't have a car trivia automatically in it so i I just say i don't think the bit is strong enough to justify your time looking it up for it specifically but carry on i'm committed now cars exist world famous segment i'm committed so I, last week, had to go looking it up for the, one of the first times ever, because usually it's just already there. That was the reason it began, was because it was a joke I didn't need to worry about, because <laughs> it was already ready for me. Um, but it wasn't there last week, and I had to look it up. And I found this website, the Internet Car Movie Database, where if you just type in a movie, it'll tell you all of the cars that are in the movie with pictures. And obviously, most movies have right. hundreds of cars in the background. So it mm. makes it really difficult. You've got to find the car that's actually worth talking about. Um, so, with that in mind, the car that the car scene happens in, the big dramatic crux of the entire movie, is a 1983 Volvo GL. Nice. Great cars exist. Great, I mean, yeah, I'm very integral to the movie. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, key scene. Key scene. So... That brings us to the end of trivia and to the question. It's on everyone's lips, Chris, because we're finally going to reveal it. We've teased it and we've teased it. And we've even, I feel like we've both had wobbles on whether we were, which way we were going to go with this. Um, mm-hmm. We mentioned at the start of this series that there was a big movie coming out this year. So this, for anyone listening to this in the future who's come, you know, come back to this podcast, it's, uh, it's 2021. And there are two movies coming out towards the end of the year that are sequels of sort, well, part of a franchise um, would be a better way to describe it, I think, for, the, for one in particular, where they had movies that were out in this era that we were interested in and passionate about and were both very, very, you know, well, uh, me for both, but I think you for one very, very seriously and then the other one kind of passively, right? Um, no, no, both, no, both fairly. Okay. No, 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 yeah, okay. both, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to assume, so I, I yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and, and I'll put the cards on the table now. The two franchises that have movies coming out this year that we were considering... Because we, we, we've, we've started a tradition of doing a trilogy per series of Rewind Reviews. So the two trilogies on the table for us to do were the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Wachowskis Matrix trilogy, which both have new movies coming out at the end of this year. Um... Now, the actual choice for next week's episode is in Chris's hands. Now, I think we've come to a consensus. We talked about it before we we started this very podcast. But actually, strictly speaking, Chris, by the rules, it's your call. Yeah, and it has been tempting to to just randomly go name the other one. Um, 
But it got co- it got so fucking convoluted the discussion and the dates. Like we went r- so round the houses that I just don't want that to be wasted time. Um, and I it, this is the I think the we're both convinced the safer bet for definitely going to come out um, regardless. Um, so uh, we are going with the Matrix. We are. We're going to do the Matrix. And trilogy. actually, actually, I've probably got more memories of the matrix than spider-man actually because mm. i think when you said not that but you assumed i was more bothered about spider-man but actually no no i, I think... thought you were more bothered about matrix because you you were, when, oh, we, right, when okay, we first fine. met you weren't a big superhero movie guy at all i mean you you slowly over the course of you know uh, you know over the course of like my time knowing you have gotten more and more into superhero movies i remember mm. dragging you a little bit to go see x-men first class at a midnight show and it's, i'm picking that for one day for this because that's still one of my favorite favorite cinema experiences it was wonderful. because i was just so not fussed about going right <laughs> like, and it was really you got me on like it's midnight and i'm like yeah i'll see a movie at midnight um but yeah yeah, so we uh, so I kind of dragged. We had an interview to promote um, writing space, I think, like a Zoom interview, that, like that went out. It was like a remember that, and then we were like, mm. and we were together for Still that file somewhere, and we were worried that because it was quite, it was a long show, and we didn't know where our interview fell, and we were really worried that we weren't going to get interviewed till right at the end of the show, and it would, <laughs> it would mean we missed the movie, <laughs> so. Um, and I, I just remember that whole thing, yeah. that whole palaver. Um, and it worked out fine. It was great. It was, it was a really fun interview and whatever. But like the, <laughs> the, um, uh, yeah, we, we got out and see the movie. Thing. And I remember, I remember yeah. you just being like a little bit like, why is this a thing? Why are we, why are we going out? Like, like a, you were kind of in, but you were, you were in. I think with with some hesitancy about the film itself, for sure. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Mm. And there were some right knobheads behind us mm. as well. If that, that, that's that's brought that flooding back. But um, point... but yes, but yeah, no. So we will we won't do the thing where we talk about it now. But we uh, no, yeah, but no, I, I knew definitely... from early on. Me and you were both huge Matrix fans growing up. Whereas I wasn't sure how because of your interaction with superior movies when I first met you, I didn't really think you were that fussed about Spider Man as a kid. But I, evidently, I've been. Oh, that's fair. Proven wrong. Oh uh, yeah, well yeah, well I saw it with mates and stuff, and we were yeah pumps right. and yeah but that but even to this day i don't think i've seen the third so yeah it's uh it's definitely i was you were right i was definitely more the matrix yeah. but i think you and i you and i had that fucking 10 dvd box set didn't we i still um, have it we will talk about it's on my shelf we will talk about wow we will talk about all of that next week yes um, and i will say as well um to chris's point of you know we were thinking about which one is actually likely to come out when it's when it's then i've already got reason to believe it's going to be delayed in the uk matrix resurrections whatever it's called so you know I, and yes, i think and i think I th- spider-man's release very much depends on the canary in the coal mine that is it turns out there's plenty of time to die um because if 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 hold on a minute there's two years to die because of covid doesn't do well they'll probably pull spider-man or at least push it back a bit (laughs) yeah and you know both of us for me you know what for me the big thing was it it felt like the the matrix felt closer to the matrix four just because i kind of there's that anal part of me going in order to truly do it for no way home you've got to do the two amazing spider-mans as well um seemingly um so yeah no that swung it for me um and also i think it's um yeah i think um 
It's more of a fun experiment in the lead up to a film, I think, doing the Matrix ones. Yeah, and I think I'm, I, I, and I think as well, I feel like I actually am more eager to rewatch the Matrix movies than because I, I've rewatched the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies every couple of years, of my life, <laughs> like of my life, like every every year or two, I'm like, oh, I'll rewatch those; those are fun. Um, so, and I think I only last rewatched them, well, I was I was in this flat, so within the last three years. So you know, whereas I don't think I've seen the Matrix trilogy god uni maybe uni yeah <laughs> so i think I, I i don't know because so yeah I so think I, i've I, seen you know, the first I, i'm looking for a good excuse to watch them and also they go off they're, they're on netflix until the middle of october then they go away so we could take advantage now while they're still on netflix i think i've seen the first one since uni but i don't think i did saw two and three as well and it's really funny because um weekly planet who do a thing called Caravan of Garbage, which it doesn't mean the movie's bad, it just is what they call it, where they go back and watch some old movies. They've done like the Michael Bay Transformers movies, and they do, you know, they, they did, um, they sometimes pip us, and I go like, oh, I can't watch it, because I don't want to know what they're going to say, because like, I don't want it to influence if we do it on Rewind Reviews. They did the Santa Claus movies last year, um, and they, mm-hmm. they just did the Matrix trilogy like three weeks ago, and I was like, oh, I really want to watch these and hear what they say about it, but I also don't want to be influenced when we review it, so I've I've yeah. not watched them yet. I'm, so I'm almost looking forward to doing the Matrix so I can go back and watch the Weekly Planets videos on it that's fair that's fair yes so no that's that's where we're going next week the the matrix very excited um big fun times with what my memory says is a good movie and two terrible movies but probably that is is not that it's probably not as clean cut as that yeah i reckon maybe if i was a betting man i'd bet maybe the first one isn't as incredible as our memory says and the second two aren't as bad as our memory says either oh that's an interesting thought because i was wondering if like the first one is going to just hold up as like this really great like because i think the people who would watch the first one and not like it this is a conversation we can only really have now before we sat down to watch it so i'll very quickly finish this thought if that's okay um because obviously next week we won't be able to say this because we'll know (laughs) because we'll have seen it but i have a feeling with the first one it'll hold up better for us than for this generation because i feel like someone young now who hasn't seen it like i i've mentioned this in the past i work with a lot of like 20 year olds like 20 odd year olds like early 20s and a lot of them haven't seen the first matrix i haven't seen the matrix films and i'm just like i don't know if they they sit down and watch those movies the, the, the stuff that's in the matrix that was revolutionary in its day has been done to death now and won't even register to them as being cool in any way shape or form and I agree with that, but I think there is also some stuff because it's a bit, you know, sick, <coughs> sixth sense experience wise mm-hmm. of like the, you know, bullet time won't look impressive because bullet time got spoofed in Shrek. But yeah. there is also, it's my way or the highway or whatever that line is. There's there's a lot of that in there as well, which I think might not seem as cool. <laughs> interesting yeah so we'll, we'll find out so, there, yeah. there, she i don't know if it's that line but in the scene with the car she says some, there's something really someone has a really cheesy fucking line um, but again you know it could be wrong i would ha- would be happy to be wrong yeah no so i'm super excited about that and um looking forward to sitting down and watching them again um from your perspective dear listener um they'll be coming out next week they'll start next week um from our perspective there might be a small gap in recording because chris is Chris is, Chris, is, Chris is getting married, so we've got to figure that out yet, but um, that's for us to work out. Yeah, yeah so my... if, we, if, if, if Chris sounds somewhat different at the start of the next recording, you'll know it's because he's a married man now. No, I reckon, I reckon I've got... We, we might be able to work Squeeze. some... 
stuff on that. I'm pretty sure Jess has forbidden you to record on your wedding day, Chris. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting we sit down. I suppose because in my head, in my head, then for some reason, I was only thinking of it as two. It is no, you're right. It is ambitious to say we're going to do three of these in a week. Um, Right. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Maybe. Well, maybe it's. Right. We'll have to. This conversation should be having on air. I think we. We we compare schedules and we either we either hold off on all of it or we yeah I think I don't think we should do one and then have a massive gap I think you're right we need to do the three close together that's, so yeah, that's we need to compare schedules see what's possible and then go yeah. from there yeah but there's yeah. a yeah so anyway so thank you everyone for listening um come back obviously uh, in a week's time to hear that or head over to the Patreon and you can get it um now you can go listen yeah. listen to it now. Um, it's, it's it'll be up there. Everything goes up a week early on the Patreon. Um, so uh, you know, for as little as one dollar a month, you could be supporting us and getting access to these episodes and analyzing Avatar episodes a week early. Also allows you to ask us a question. If you want to help us and you don't want to give us money, you can head over to the Rewind Reviews like page on iTunes or wherever and leave us a leave us a review, five stars. Obviously, four, anyone four stars or less, get out of here. Um, but you don't yeah. don't actually like talk about the podcast because that's kind of boring. Tell us about your personal rewind reviews. What movies have you gone back to in your life um, and 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 found they either don't hold up or totally hold up? Uh, what you know? What are the movies of your childhood? We're me and Chris are of a very specific era, so a lot of the movies you'll notice that we talk about are like late eighties, early nineties, that sort of era, um, and actually through the early you know late nineties, early thousands. Well, that that's kind of like our window for what we're doing a lot of this stuff from. Um, um, but, you know, you might be younger or older and have a completely different set of films that you remember that way. So, um, yeah, let us know. Tell us about your favorite experiences going back to old movies or least favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be I'd be excited to hear it. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, for, for listening. Um, oh, yeah, also like and subscribe on the YouTube channel and all that jazz. And uh, Twitter, I'm at Dan Doolan and Chris is at C. Billingham. And, oh, and I should have said, go. I, I said go to the Patreon, didn't give the link. Patreon.com slash nothing but static if you want to support us there. Um, but, yeah, that's everything for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I'm gonna. Oh, I've got to let Chris do his thing. I've, I've I stepped on. Yeah, man. Sorry, Chris. No, it's fine. No, do you do it. You do it. You. It, it was leading in so beautifully. You, you go for it. Okay. Well, I've been Dan Doolan. I've been Chris Billingham, and this review has been rewound. A little bit more talking while you do that sexy, sexy headphone switcheroo. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what is so sexy about the switcheroo? And now I have questions. I just imagine you're naked and erect. Sure. I mean, yeah. the, where have you hidden the camera? Um, <laughs> in, uh, in a book I gave you. That's even <laughs> university book. It's got yeah. a... It's got a camera in it. Wow, it's a good camera. It's in a different room and it's still picking me up here, naked and erect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to work hard to be as perverted as me. Great. (laughs)